Live from the Battersea Power Station, this is Doctor Who Podshock. Doctor Who Podshock episode number 41 for the week of May 22nd, 2006. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello. Across the pond, Mr. James Norton. Hello. And joining us on this program today, the now famous celebrity, Mr. Jules Bird. Hello. Hi, <laughs> guys. We should Jules Spurt from Rise of the Cybermen, star star of Rise of the Cybermen. That's right. <laughs> David Tennant's agent's gonna call him tomorrow and say, "What the hell were you guys thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> this Listen, is David Tennant's like secret here. You know, I mean, not David yeah. Tennant. Um, uh, Russell T. Davis' secret, you know, is. Um, Jules Burt is going to be somehow, you know, sort of like how we Colin thought... Baker was an arc in Infinity, and yeah. then <laughs> Jules Burt is going to come back later as maybe Doctor Number Eleven. I'll, do my, I'll attempt to do my best, Russell T. Davies, and say we thought that it would we would put Jules in the background as the photographer, <laughs> but because it's an alternate reality, and that's a really bad Russell Davies because he doesn't yes, really have is. any. He doesn't really have any quirks. We need to get. He does. He's got a Welsh accent. He's, he's Welsh. <laughs> okay. He's, he's a bit. He's, a, he's big and he's six foot seven. He's enormous. And, is he real? Yeah, apparently, he's a big yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Cyberman. Rob Sherman was uh, <laughs> commenting on what a lovely chap he is. This big, huge, cuddly gay man <laughs> with his booming Welsh accent. He said it was the, the most surreal thing when he first met him. Anyway, I digress. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So we're going to briefly do what little Doctor Who news there is this week uh, very quickly because Jules is on board and we want to pick his brain um, about the rise of the Cybermen and the Age of Steel, or mostly the rise of the Cybermen. Um, now that it's gone out, gone, you know, it's been in transmission and mm. we can, we've all seen it. We can talk freely now. We can talk. Yeah, that's right. I, I was certainly biting my lip the last, well, as you know, <laughs> the last time I was on, you know, there were so many things I wanted to tell you. I just couldn't because they would give away the plot. And uh, we were under strict orders not to do that, so I didn't. And uh, But now we're free. We can talk about whatever we like and not have to worry one bit. <laughs> Don't kill us, Steve. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. No. So, Lewis, what's in the Doctor Who newsroom? Well, we can start off uh, going back to a news story that we did last time, or I think it was in the last episode, which was the Hand of Fear DVD. Even though we reported on this previously um, on the Doctor Who BBC website, they're giving off, they give, they are reporting more details on the DVD, such as a commentary track that it will include, which will be of Tom Baker, Elizabeth Sladen, 
uh, Judith Paris, who plays Eldrad, must live. Bob Barker and <laughs> Philip, Hitch- <laughs> who's co-writer. Bob Baker. And- Bob Barker. That's the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Barker will be making an appearance because he's going to ask the audience, you know, to guess the price on the hand of fear now. Uh, and Philip Hitch, Hitchcliffe, who's the producer of that of, of the producer of that era, and, a very um, uh, a very good lineup. I actually, I'm really kind of impressed with the, the commentary. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and my big question is, is Tom Baker on or not on in this commentary? You know, when you get Tom Baker on, he just you know he's just talking and and being the genius that is tom baker and then there's been times in some commentaries where he's been kind of you know yes you know doing the just the slow (laughs) mellow bit so i I guess it's up to the to the dvd producers whether or not they bring him out to the pub beforehand or not (laughs) it would also include a uh a 50 minute documentary charting uh the special relationship of the doctor and the companion Sarah Jane Smith called called Changing Times. Um it's it's interesting. I I don't think it's any accident that Hand of Fear is coming out on DVD, you know, with School Reunion um this year on the BBC, you know, on on Doctor Who and um it also today's episode of um since we're reviewing Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel, I don't think it's any accident that um Inferno is coming out on DVD, which is um another alternate uh, reality alternate universe story of Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah, they, they they didn't, however, put out another Cyberman story. So well, that's that true. Said is you yeah. know that the the Inferno is a little, um, a little less pinpoint accurate, shall we say, as far as uh, you know reasoning. I mean, maybe it was just done and they put it out. But uh, if they were really trying to capitalize on the Cyberman, they would have put out. Um, you know, something along the lines of Silver Nemesis. I'm surprised or, they didn't. I'm surprised they haven't. Or, uh, you know, uh, or, well, I think they're waiting, like, things like Invasion, waiting to see if they'll ever turn up uh, episode one or four or maybe do a reconstruction um, to include something along those lines. But, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't as well. And you know what? Maybe that's the next one on deck. I mean, we've heard uh, Hand of Fear and, and what was the second but the, the, there's plenty of complete Cyberman stories that have not yet seen the light of DVD yet so I'm surprised they haven't done you know at least one this year well you're anxious to spend $25 on Revenge I'm anxious to get any I, <laughs> yes I'm anxious to get any Doctor Who story out on DVD now at the, at the rate they're going okay um, fair the, enough the faster the better <laughs> I'm getting gold <laughs> <laughs> They're certainly taking their time, that's for sure. Yes. They really are. I keep on complaining. By the time they're all out on DVD, we would have moved on to some other medium. Well, you know, it happened with video, didn't it? So yes. Yeah. It took them 20 years on the video and finally get it. Um, and, they, and they literally rushed out the last dozen just to get it out right. to say they, they finished the series. In, in fact, wasn't Hand of Fear one of the last video releases? Um... No, I, actually, it was, it, yeah, no, it was about middle of the pack, I would say, um, and it's actually a pretty decent VHS, meaning mm. that it was before the hack job that they did, let's say, on Brain of Morbius, or, right, I, yeah. I don't know if you guys had that problem in the UK, but... In Brain the of Morbius came out edited in a one-hour yeah, version of everything. They, they did all these weird edits to Doctor Who, what they were thinking is, the, the old question mark as to 
the rationale behind some of the things that have happened in Doctor Who history, there's one of those giant question marks right there. The, the editing of Doctor Who stories for video uh, <laughs> defies logic. I mean, at least they know that uh, on DVD we all want the complete episodes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. And they'll, they'll never go back to being edited versions of things now. I mean, no way. People just won't stand for it. And, and, I mean, and I, I can remember when the Five Doctors first came out in the UK in video, there was, on DVD rather, there was a, a BBC flyer inside, and, and one of the questions was, um, are you happy with uh, edited versions, or do you want to see complete episodes? And obviously, you, know, you had to tick the box, whatever you fancied, and I did tick the box, obviously, complete episodes. And uh, I'm sure everybody else did, so... Uh, but it's yeah, interesting that in that there was another missed opportunity why did it, why didn't they include both the broadcast version and the deluxe version of the five doctors uh, why is that the you know now the why are they making the broadcast version the holy grail uh you know a video for for doctor who fans why not include both versions on that on that set there was no reason for it maybe that will come in another 10 years time like well, Star Wars, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, they're going to pull a George Lucas and, and release that <laughs> later on down the line. <laughs> George Lucas. Yeah. <clears throat> By the way, Peter Cushing is going to be in Star Wars. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Bombshell. Is that a news item? It's a little retro news item. <laughs> <laughs> but... from the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're about 40 years <laughs> late on that news story. <laughs> and the and the DVD is coming out in November. Okay, the the next item in the news round is David Tennant, um, who's the tenth Doctor, is uh, donating a script, and I believe this is a script from the Christmas Invasion to a charity. Um, what's the charity name again? It's um, it's um. <laughs> oh, it's it's Hatwalk. I'm sorry, Hatwalk 2006. It's a charity aimed at raising funds for educational work. Um, and support for vulnerable children in Scotland. Um, so they're, they're showcasing hats and selling items by auction. And um, they're, uh, the auction starts May 31st. And um, so th this is obviously a... Um, David Tennant is obviously a, a charitable person and donating this script. And this isn't the first time that he's donated a script. Uh, last month he donated... Um, the first episode of this series, which I'm assuming they're they're speaking of New Earth, uh, to the um, to the Christian Aid book sale um, at um, St Andrews and St George's Church. So, um, anyway, if you're looking for a script and you want to benefit a charity, you could look into I, this. I have to point out on this Age of Steel and and Rise of Cybermen, like the David Tennant in the Tux bit, you know, little James Bondish. Was a nice, nice feel, you know, to the uh, to that episode. But you know, I'm only because I'm I'm looking at the picture on the website. Yeah, I was going to say, how does this relate to the? Script? I, it doesn't. I'm just okay. really digressing. <laughs> oh, by the way, I do do have a news point though. Uh, a right. little bit of retro news. Um, Once again, the, the, was it the Sun or what was the other tabloid? The mirror. Mirror. The the, the, the Sun or the Mirror that reported about the change of the theme song. They were dead on. They were 100 really? dead on. Yeah, well, he's being have... sarcastic. <laughs> I hope so. I was like, um, no. 
right on with the change of the theme song. They, they hit that nail right on the head. You you worried me for a second there, I'm like, because <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> like, wait a minute, I was listening. Like, what? What a minute? What? No? Halfway through the series, again, you changed the theme tune? No! I think, I think James had a had a couple pints before the start of the, today's podcast. I always podcast. do. I, always I wish do. he would share. I really do. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, James. Okay, let's move along to the next news item, please. Well, the next Mr. piece of news is John Barrowman, who um, we all know as Captain Jock Harkness, will now be a uh, Jack by another name, and that's um, he's going to be starring in... <laughs> Jack by another name. <laughs> well, he is... <laughs> He's going to be starring in a holiday Jack and the Beanstalk pantomime, <laughs> and that's starting on December 16th, um, which is uh, Steven Spielberg's birthday, for those keeping track, um, and it runs to January 27th of next year at the New Theater in Cardiff, Wales. Ah. So uh, if you want to see... Handy for filming, yeah. Yeah. So, if you want to see Captain Jack in person, or John Barrowman rather in person, and um, you can um, catch him there. Cool. He awesome. um, previously appeared in pantomime um, in Cinderella in London last year. Yeah, I remember. Because um, didn't he play the Cinderella? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <he plays> <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can just no. see John Barrowman now in a in a nice big pink tutu <laughs> for the ball. <laughs> I have a photograph right here. If you no, never mind. <laughs> I, I, I can't show say... it because I'm in the picture too. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say Prince Charming, but uh, if you reckon he played Cinderella, then... Lou is wearing his leather shell, as we were talking about before. No, we my leather tutu. Oh, the leather tutu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in my case, it was a three-three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, we're quickly losing jewels. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you guys carry right ahead. Jules says, why did I sign up here? <laughs> okay, anything else left in the news, Dr. Lou? Uh, unless um, anyone else has any news items that you would like to share? Well, I'm, I'm having a solo album, a solo project. I'm leaving the show due to creative that, differences. That's right, that's right. Uh, according to the message board. No, that's it. So, All right, so... News is done. That's out of the way. We've got our guest, Mr. Jules Burt, on the line. And Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel have aired in the UK now. It's out. We can now not. We don't have to worry about spoilers anymore. We can just pick his brain. We can we can question him with complete freedom now on this episode and about the filming of this Cyberman epic. Uh, Jules, the first question I have for you was, were you pleased with the final product? Definitely, yeah. I mean, um, all my prior extra jobs, um, you know, I, I've, I've had ones where I've been in front of the camera before, and they've been filming for quite a while, and you think, oh, this is going to be brilliant when it goes out. And then you just get a second or two or three if you're lucky. I think one of my down-to-earths, when I was in playing a prisoner, I was just in shot with Ricky Tomlinson for a couple of minutes, so that was pretty good. Um, but the Doctor Who bits, uh, in fact, not just me, but all the uh, all the other party guests in in the in the party scene, all got seen. Absolutely, everybody got used a lot, and we were all seen. So I think everyone should be pretty happy with that. Um, but I, I was absolutely delighted. I mean, as soon as we saw the death in um, Doctor Who Confidential, the first one of those, we saw a couple of seconds of me getting grabbed by the Cyberman. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I knew then I could relax a bit and think, yeah, it's going to be a good one. And, and it really was come the end, you know. 
Um, and watching the story, are you, do you, did it live up to everything that while you were there on set? Did it live up to all the expectations you had uh, as far as knowing that you were in the Cyberman story? I mean, did the story still amaze you? When you're seeing the completed product? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, they, they, it, it looks much better on screen than it does in the flesh in the Siren Man. <laughs> um, I've got, you know, when they when they move, they've got the stomp, of course, and uh, the added sound effect and uh, the lighting. It is obviously like a tint they put on the um, on the picture, so it, it looks uh, darker than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just all, all like, and every shot. I mean, every virtually every single. Um, uh, shot on the screen is a visual effect somewhere um, mm-hmm. you know, throughout almost all the Rise of the Sun it's incredible to watch and mm-hmm. realise it's just a TV show um, but I, I, I was right that the bit we were filming leading up to the Sidemen smashing through the windows um, was near the end of the episode I, I, I was pretty sure it was um, mm-hmm. and um, but although I only ended up doing two days uh, there's a small there was a very short girl who was a waitress who's referred to by the Doctor and Rose. Oh, yeah. And um, I, I met up with her again a couple of months later doing Casualty in Bristol. And um, I said, oh, yeah, I, I remember you from Doctor Who. And uh, I said, yeah, oh, she said to me she ended up doing five days up there. Yeah, because um, she walks in, in in Age of Steel, you see her going in to be the, into the conversion chamber. You see Lucy going in. Ah, right. Ah, well, there you go. And, and you know, she said she couldn't believe it. it just, each day, because she, she lived so so near to Cardiff, and uh, they just kept asking her back, and uh, she was over the moon with it. But she wasn't a, a fan or anything. It was just uh, yet another job for her. Mm-hmm. I bet she is a fan now. <laughs> well, who knows, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she is. A, she was a fan of the wages, I'm certain of that. <laughs> <laughs> which were um, which were exceptional for um, for background work and very very good. So. Well, Jules, I th- hmm. we uh, we had you on when you originally shot this episode back. back in um, November, I guess it was wasn't it? November. Yeah, yeah. well, November, was it October? October or was it November? No, definitely November. Um, okay. Yeah, it was. Um, so it was the week the week of Children in Need, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that's it was, right. It was that's that right. Um, and I, d- I think I did a Friday, then I went back on and did a Tuesday. For them. So, um, did they cut anything out from you? I thought you had more dialogue. I th- I thought there was uh, dialogue-wise. No, no, definitely not. Um, it was just a <laughs> scream, which um, it, it it's more of a gargle than a scream as it's come out. Because uh, come the sixth take, I was getting a bit hoarse. Um, mm. And and my scream sort of that was the key for everybody else because we had these ear pods in. Um, you, you really you couldn't hear the director or anything, so everyone was relying on little glimpses from everybody else so um uh, paul casey who was the the cyberman who killed me um was just waiting for me to start moving i don't think he could even hear my scream under his helmet and mm-hmm. then and that was it then everyone the whole sequence moved into um moved into the flow then you know um but i, w- I was particularly pleased that the scream is there and, it, and it's my original one they didn't dub it with anything else so uh, that's that's yeah, pretty they, cool they wasn't like they got James Earl Jones to come back unbeknownst to you and record a screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you, when you, uh, you all had the earpieces, did you get a chance to take those home with you as a souvenir? No, I, I, I did ask. Um, the, the ear pods, we all, when we got there, they explained, you know, these are the like, ear pods. And, um, they showed us how to put them in, and they're obviously just sort of plastic, but really well done. The, everyone had it. Mine, um, had the lights in, but they, they weren't lit while I was doing my filming. But 
Um, they had a little LED light, green mm -hmm. lights in the side, and you could just turn them on and off. And you just had it was on a bit of rubber, and you just rolled it in your in your thumb and forefinger. And they went really small. You could then pop it in your ear, and it would expand, and then just stick in your oh, ear. Mm -hmm. um, but we were giving them out with a little uh, like plastic baggie uh, with our initials on, and that's how we had to give them back. And they were like ticked in and ticked out. And uh, on my on the second day, I, I did say no chance of a, a souvenir of these. And he said, "Sorry, mate. Every single pair has to be accounted for." And that was yeah. not a joke. So, um, so that was it. No, no chance. Unfortunately, I guess oh they don't want them showing up on eBay or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, well, absolutely. Although, you know, obviously, I, I, it would have been a great souvenir to have. Um, there, there was no way I could, I could get away with it. Um, I, I did. Um, Lindsay, who was the um, the third assistant director, she let me have um, a couple of call sheets, which um, yeah, that's right. You mentioned the, that. Yeah, they, they weren't the ones which I was on. They're yeah. the following day. So um, I, I gave them to uh, to my business partner George, who's uh, mm -hmm. as a huge Doctor Who collection. So uh, um, so he was very happy with that. <laughs> but that was the only souvenir I, I could get away with on the set, with, with the little photocopy call sheets, which was fine. Uh, plus my original suit, which I suppose is a screen worn prop now. <laughs> well, you bought that suit yourself, didn't you? It, it's my it was my own yeah. suit, which they yeah. um, which they uh, they. They cleaned over the weekend. I did the one day, and they were left mm. there. And they were everyone's uh, suits were dry cleaned to look exactly the same as they were on the first day. Now, Jules. And, um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I noticed a bunch of times the flash bulbs were going off even when you weren't on screen. Was that you or added in in post? Well, no. A a absolutely every scene of that party, yeah, when they come down the steps and. Um, uh, when when Sean and Camille do their their speech side by side, at that particular scene, I'm stood right next to Billy Piper and and the Doctor, and it's not really until you see Rose, uh, uh, Jackie and Pete walk round that you see me then come to one side and I sort of take a photo of them with the Doctor and Rose sort of look at me then and um, and see me taking the snap. But all the, all those photos. Um, I had to take them at exactly the same time each each rehearsal basically so it married up oh. um, but that was that was pretty much how it was um, uh, yeah it was a real camera which took real photos uh, there was just no film in it you know mm -hmm. um, yeah just when you hit the button the flash would go off exactly right yeah so uh, that, that, that was it um, and I, I just sort of every, everyone there had a pre-planned uh, pre-planned movement so it sort of flowed, and um, there were several big rooms, and they all sort of fitted together in a big circle. So you could just walk around, uh, and that's what I did. I just toed and froed, and they put me where they wanted me mm -hmm. for each for each scene. How many? So, go, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You go. I was going to say, how many other extras were there? Because it seems like it must have been a a huge thing to coordinate if they had to. Uh, plan everybody's movement. Uh, it's it's, so it's funny, but well, it, it, uh, I, um, I've been on I've been on you know films which have had you know, five hundred extras before, but I think um, they originally tried to get about forty, and they could only get I think in the end they had maybe twenty extras uh, mm -hmm. to uh, turn up for it, um, and myself and the Cybermen were. I think we were classed as walk-on or specialist extras or something like that. Um, but certainly on my pay slip it said walk-on part, so that was uh, that was which is just you know a little bit more prominent than a normal extra. Um, but there was I think about twenty in, in total. And, um, oh right. Uh, although it looks more, but you know I, I I can pretty much picture all. Uh, it was about half and half. 
about it's 10 funny of each of us, you know. Lewis and I were available that day, which was very surprising they didn't call us. It's all I can think of. Um, the, the way the extras is done on Doctor Who, because I, I spoke to um, uh, my agent about this as soon as Series 1 was made, and she said, I said when I, I last spoke to her, by the way, if you ever get anything on Doctor Who, you know, as soon as I knew it was being filmed, I, I would love to do it. And um, she said, well, all the extra work is split between three agencies, and... I was with two of them, so I knew I was in with a shout, um, and there's there's a couple in Bristol, um, and one based in Cardiff, and all I can think of is um, they they used a lot of extras at the very end of, um, of obviously, my episode, Rise of the Sidemen, plus Age, Age of Steel had stacks of extras, all those people in the street and that, yeah. um, and you can only, obviously, be used once once per show I would think probably once a year on something as high profile as Doctor Who so they had to cast the old net out a bit and I've heard of this happening before um, when Band of Brothers was filmed um, for example there was a national shortage of extras to play you know allied and German soldiers and, and they were they were combing the country for people, um, for people. and the same with uh, Gladiator as well which I think used a massive massive like a couple of thousand of ex extras as men and uh, they just couldn't find them because there's not that many people who can just do it at the drop of a hat. Right, um, take the day off and just come down and hang out. Exactly right. So, um, you know, I think there was a bit of a shortage, and that's probably why the net was cast as far afield as, as Plymouth, which is, you know, it's still a, a good couple of hundred miles away from where they were filming. Right. And usually, uh, most of my jobs are a bit closer. You know, Bristol's usually as far as it goes for me. Um, uh, you know, there, there were, I think I, I'd come the furthest, I think there was a chap who came down from Manchester, which is quite a long way to Cardiff. Um, but even so, you know, I would have uh, travelled all the way to Aberdeen or something, the length of Britain <laughs> to be in Doctor Who. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, so to answer your question, there was only about 20 of us, but there was, um, ah. on the second day, there was at least 11 Cybermen, plus a Cyber Leader. Now, you, when we spoke with you last, I don't remember whether you said you heard the voice or not um, being done. Well, Nick, Nick Briggs was there on the second day. When the Cybermen um, burst through the windows, um, Nick, Nick was outside and he, he had a monitor to see exactly what was going on. Um, and obviously he had all the equipment to, to do it in the voice. Um, as it was being acted, basically. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was done again in, in the studio, but for the effect, everyone, all the lines were delivered properly by the Cybermen. Um, so, so he was there. He was, he was, he was really involved in what was going on, and and all the lines were delivered on time. I think, so I think he was what happened there. was in the first interview that we did because we we went back to back with you because you came back. <clears throat> um, maybe the the first day of shooting. You were saying that he that he wasn't there. That's right. He he wasn't and, on the first. Yeah. Yeah. And I had asked you that question then, and you said, "Oh no, we never heard the Sidemen's voices. It's going to be done in post." And yeah. and then when I saw the Confidential uh, last week, I was like, "Wait a minute! There's Nicholas He's Briggs there. Yeah. sitting there." The, you know, the Confidential people. Um, that's right. The Confidential people um, and the official BBC stills photographer were only there on the Tuesday for that one day, and I. And I in hindsight, I, I remember that that was the day um, Phil Collinson came down um, to the set. Uh, Russell T. Davis was, was nowhere to be seen, and nor was Julie Gardner. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was just um, Phil Collinson who was there on that second day. And um, I remember thinking, oh, that's a shame, because my, my death scene was done on the first day. 
And um, if that had been done um, on the Tuesday, chances are I would have had some stills of that official BBC stills, and maybe the Confidential would have covered it a bit more. But um, alas, they were obviously there for the Cybermen bursting through the window, which was like the, the main yeah. bit of filming that day. So, Jules, what you should have done was secretly put film in the camera that you were using and then <laughs> slip it off. <laughs> well, you know, um, at one point, the, the camera bust, and um, and Sean Dingwell is, is a bit of a camera mm -hmm. bust, so he was on hand to fix it. But I had my um, little digital on me. Obviously, I, I, I wasn't going to take any photos on set, but I was able to, um, to you know, as you've seen, get one with David in the break time when we were having, having a, our lunch or tea, as it was, so... Uh, I was very tempted, but obviously <laughs> there was no way. But um, I, I, I remember seeing um, Nicholas Briggs and um, Billy Piper both had their own camcorders, and I think they were doing video diaries on both days. So um, whether that will turn up on video or on the DVDs, rather, yeah. mm -hmm. that would be quite cool to see to see a bit more behind the scenes footage. Yeah. Uh, which I'm you sure we only have till November to wait on that. That's it. Yeah, I shall have to pre-order mine right away. In fact, it's, it's available for pre-order right now. It's, yes, it's it become is. Available. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very cool. Very cool indeed. Now, uh, in in this in the scenes that you were in, David Tennant was wearing a tuxedo as opposed to his costume. That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They were disguised as a waiter and waitress, of course, weren't they? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and and well, they're like it for the rest of the episode. Uh, I didn't see him in his normal doctor outfit or um, or, or Billy, but um, yeah, they they were just. Uh, I think she was very cold. <laughs> I think she was really cold in, in that outfit. The doctor, though, you know, he he was he was. Uh, obviously, the Christmas invasion hadn't even gone out then, so all I'd seen yeah. of David Tennant was that brief regeneration, and, and yeah. that was it. So. Um, you know, I didn't know how to take him, but you know, you could tell straight away he, he was the Doctor and the presence that he's got on set as well. Um, yeah, interesting to watch him in preparation, you know, because I, you know, I do um, uh, a theatre theatre work as well, um, and uh, you know, before he starts a scene, he sort of does some um, mouth exercises and, and gets ready, and obviously has one last look over their lines, as all the actors do. And, uh, off they go, and, and you know, he just. Uh, very, all you can say is he's, he's really professional. He's very, very good at what he does. Did you, as, as they all were. Did mm -hmm. you see him talking with with um, Graham Harper? Was there any interaction creatively going on? Um, um, I don't think. Um, or was that you think he, that was he, done in rehearsal? Uh, he certainly got some direction. Um, you know, uh, what Graham would do is refer to them by their characters. So, Doctor is Doc. I seem to remember him calling. Um, and, uh, and and Rose, he, he would he would do it by the character's name, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't a lot. Uh, I don't. He, he certainly gave direction to us extras, um, telling us what to do, because he had a, a real specific thing in mind. Um, but the main cast, I don't think, needed a lot because they all they all knew it spot on uh, right. before it was even filmed. Uh, they, they, knew, they, yeah, knew they probably did. Yeah. When they read throughs and stuff, they went through what they were going to do. About, almost certainly, I would think. Yeah, they they seemed. You know, they were all, all very much on the ball and knew knew the score. Did, looking back on it now, did anything seem spontaneous? In other words, that once they got there, they said, you know, we could take advantage of something, or was everything pretty much planned? Well, um, it was such a cold, cold night. Um, that once the windows had been smashed by the Cybermen, which incidentally was just done the one take, um, there, there was no chance to go back and do that again. Um, 
those windows, um, you see how big they were to get the sound yeah. through. They, they just had like the sugar glass in there, and um, it was a one a one time only chance to shoot that. You know, like sending a car over a cliff or something like that. You're just going to do it the one time. So all our reactions and that after that was was pretty much. Um, the, the one that that was it you know one chance to do it but of course after that it was so cold by this time it was probably about midnight because we didn't finish till getting on for two in the morning that night um that they then started doing the bits uh filmed on the on the lawn with the cybermen marching up and uh, you sort of see the mist and that um and that 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 was no special effect that's exactly what it was like um it was a re- it was just perfect conditions for creating that atmosphere in fact, I, I did hear they had snow um, like a they couple did, of days yeah. afterwards. You know, so I'm glad in I wasn't the, uh, there for that. You know, in the commentary for for Age of Steel, uh, they mentioned the snow, and 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 I'm as we're speaking, I'm watching it with the sound off, and I noticed right after the opening, you know, the opening credits, uh, and the Doctor does his way out of. Uh, you know, taking care of the Cybermen. Uh, you can see the snow. Uh, now that they've right. mentioned it, I look and I can actually see the, the snowflakes see. coming down. So, yeah, Well, I was lucky. I, I never saw any snow out there, but it was real cold. It was, it was definitely very cold. So once yeah. they broke the window, I mean, they, was that it for the shoot of the day? or? Of uh, the well, um, no, they, they had to then obviously film the bits with the Doctor and Rose jumping out of the window mm-hmm. um, and, um, and Sean catching up with them. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, you do sort of. There was a couple of. Um, I'm sure a couple of us were, were kept around. Um, just when they meet up with with Pete Tyler, um, and says so he sort of says, "Come with us." You can still see a bit of mayhem going on in the house. So I think um, even then we were around. Um, yeah. I think that was probably about it then, because uh, as I said, we didn't sign out till it must have been like quarter to two in the morning something like that and we've been there since two in the afternoon and everyone was absolutely shattered and i think their call time the following day was nine o'clock in the morning so i think that was absolutely impossible there to extend that because they'd finished so late but it had to be done sort of there and then it, it, it was a there was no other choice that seemed it was one chance mm, only that, exactly right yes wow. so they had to get it all in the can so it's a you know i mean that's a that's a real you know against the clock sort of time pressure thing that and and yeah, it was it was still done so professionally. It was fantastic to watch. It really yeah. was. Jules, you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, um, in today's podcast that when you were shooting this, you had only seen the regeneration sequence of the tenth Doctor because yeah. the, the Christmas invasion still hadn't gone out yet. So, That's right, yeah. um, now that you have a chance to watch um, David Tennant as the tenth Doctor, uh, what's your opinion of the tenth Doctor? Oh, uh, well. You know, he, he's great. I think um, he's really developed over the stories. Uh, uh, the highlight, um, obviously, Rise of the Cybermen for me is the highlight, but um, uh, story-wise goes, um, I thought School Reunion was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, his scenes with Sarah were just magic, you know, because, yeah. uh, of course, I David Tennant so is, is just a couple of years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, he's the first Doctor to ever be younger than me. Yeah, same here as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling um, very well. <laughs> and and I, you know, he he would have grown up. He would have seen Sarah Jane Smith in in Britain as the companion, the same as I did uh, mm-hmm. from season eleven onwards. So I'm sure he had a soft spot for her. Um, sure. Uh, I I think I first met Sarah uh, Elizabeth Sladen at the Longleat celebration in '83, and I remember just meeting her then, being bowled over. Oh, wow, that's 
is Sarah Jane Smith, you know, it's just fantastic. <laughs> in the flesh, there she was. Uh, mm-hmm. So I can imagine how he felt. It must have been fantastic to have her on the set again. I mean, I would have, I felt a lot more for her than K-9, although you know, even seeing K-9 back well, was, was fine. Well, you know, Jules, as you know, we couldn't really say this back when we had you last time, but now that the story's out, we know it takes place on our alternate Earth. You know, so somewhere on our Earth, there's another Jules Burke cameraman out there. Oh, that's true. And, he hasn't been killed yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, they may run into you once again. And, well, you, and, never um, you never know. You know, and, and um, Billy Piper, you know, as Rose can say, look, he's still alive. And <laughs> he's still alive. Well, I, I, I've let my agent know that I'm well up for doing Torchwood, which is obviously just started, hasn't it? Or well, a couple of weeks ago Yeah. of the recording of this. It's, it's in production now. I've started filming, so uh, you never know. Um, it, Torchwood mm-hmm. would, be, would be just as good to get because we don't know very, we, well, we know very little about it. Well, well they have been pulling um, actresses and actresses um, from the, you know, the series to are on Torchwood, like um, I'm forgetting her name now, but she was a scientist in um, Aliens of London who first examined the pig creature. Now she's mm. cast. Oh, in, right. I, know, I know the one you mean. Yeah. Yes. So she's cast, and um, obviously um, John Barrowman, and um, yeah. they got. Um, What's her face um, as well? Eve Miles. <laughs> e Miles. E Miles. Yeah. I, I'm really drawing a blank tonight. <laughs> Quite all right. That's because he was all, all, all editing. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think playing that photographer, you know, a lot of people probably cheered because I thought it was paparazzi, you know. Yeah, kill the paparazzi, yeah, we don't mind that. <laughs> Not the most liked people in the world, are they? So, uh, but yeah, hey, yeah, I don't know if I was paparazzi or not. Especially, after, to, uh, especially after post um, Princess Diana, you know. Uh, well, true, yeah. But I mean, I, I think, you know, my main highlight really was. Um, was obviously the death and seeing those little um, special effects like the blue halo mm-hmm. effect of the Cybermen um, like running down my body. That I mean, that that really is 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 quite something to have. That you know, I've never had a special effect on me before, <laughs> <laughs> and that that is such a such a, a cool thing to see. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, it really is. Uh, and you know, I look back and I think, wow, that that really was. Uh, it's funny. Um, some people thought I looked younger. Uh, and uh, so there's, it's just because all the time I was there, I was just beaming. You know, I just I couldn't <laughs> I keep pinching myself. Like, God, I really, it's it's really Doctor Who. This is this is just beyond my wildest imagination to be to be there on the set at that one time. And what has proved to be, you know, such a, a well hyped episode. You know, the side man. Mm-hmm. You know, it it really was. You know, I mean, the week leading up to it going out last Saturday was. Um, well, it's on the radio. Inc- quite incredible, it, you know. They I mean, made the I, cover of the Radio Times. Well, exactly right. Um, yeah, I've and, got it right here in front of me. It's great. And, and here's a funny, a funny story. Um, one of my customers recently, uh, as you know, I sell um, the old Doctor Who bill piece on the net. And um, usually, when the Radio Times come out, I buy about a dozen copies of each one with with Doctor Who on them. And, um, Mm-hmm. Sell them to our American friends, and uh, <laughs> there was a couple who bought this particular one, and they said, uh, "By the way, are you the Jules Burt we heard on Podshock last year?" <laughs> I mean, they said this may sound like a, a strange question, uh, and I, I wrote back and said, "Yes, yes, it's it's me." And I, no, I don't mind if you send them an email. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be tickled, you know. But yeah, it's it's happened a bit like that. A few people have um, who I've sold Doctor Who stuff to. Um, 
have mentioned about it. I, I've had to send off a couple of signed photos as well, which is also awesome. the most bizarre thing in the world to do. <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> have to do that all the rest. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, who'd have thought it? You know? That's incredible. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you something else. I meant to say, um, when we were doing that, that scene, um, when Don Warrington gets killed, and the Cybermen are all around us, aren't they? They're behind us as well. Um, yep. There's been a lot of talk about the height of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cybermen that were behind us were actually on little standing on boxes to give them an extra foot or so, so that they did tower above the rest of us. And yeah. uh, I don't know if that gives away too much, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've, on the whole, the Cybermen, even, even if the actors weren't that tall, when they're in the suits, they definitely, they've got to be at least, well, you've seen them on TV, they've got to be at least six and a half feet high, because I'm, I'm just under six foot, so, and they were definitely higher than me, taller than me. So, um, dispel any rumours, they've got to be between six and a half and seven foot high, yeah, with, uh, with the Cyberman head on, for sure. Yeah. And uh, another thing, we didn't see a gun. I, I wasn't sure. I knew they shocked us, um, but but we we're yeah. never sure if we we're going to see a cyber mm-hmm. gun or not. And we and we didn't in the end, did we? Well, so, going no. going back to the the, the Troughton, um influences, you know, in Moonbase they didn't have a gun. They used the hand, you know, the electric, yeah, like the static mm-hmm. charge. But they were able or, to project project it, didn't they? Can yeah, they were able yeah. to project it, and um. And also the teardrop is a throwback to the the travel the seventies. Uh, oh. The oil duct, yeah. Very, very good. Yeah, very, very good. I was watching this uh, with my with uh, Wendy last night, where Age of Steel, and um, the Cyberman that's lying on the floor, and she says it was her um, her well, the night before she got married, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I, and I said, look at the teardrop in the eye, then, and and she said, oh wow. Now, she hadn't really noticed it. Yeah, yeah, that really does work. I think in one of the um, interviews with Russell T. Davis, he mentions that he, for the design, he he really wanted that tear duct in yeah. there, and, and I'm so glad that they did. You know, because it, it's great. That they were saying in the in the uh, commentary that uh, in the original script that was supposed to be a ten year old boy, and they thought oh, that really? was yeah. too dark mm. for the story, and and they and they made it you know a woman and, and changed it to where she was getting married and stuff so still pretty poignant that's good oh yeah yeah the the parallels in the story with um germany and the concentration camps and stuff to me were very very striking true yeah i i I know in the age of steel uh particularly i I thought the cybermen when they were moving around in their packs it reminded me of um dalek invasion of earth uh, more than oh, the, yeah, yeah. the TV mm-hmm. series, right? The yeah. Robomen. Uh, well, that's what I, I I saw that too. I had that same feeling that it's, it was very reminiscent of the Robomen with the with the hats and all that. Mm. You know. Um, well, I, I guess we should just like um, slide right into our reviews of both Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel, and um, you know, and, and just continue forward from here. Sure. Okay. So why? And, and, okay. and once again, we do appreciate Jules having you on board for this because um, you know we've obviously we we always do reviews and it's very we'll rare take, that we have someone that was actually on the set while we'll we're take review. into account that he might be a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. School reunion was one one hell of an episode. Well, <laughs> well let me get this out of the way though. Uh, I thought the photographer, whoever played the photographer in this, was excellent. I mean, That's it sad. just said photographer all over him. I yeah. believed him as a photographer. One hundred percent believable. I agree. Absolutely. And we were saying before we started recording, Podshock. You know, we have the the. 
on the message board is the Podshock drinking game. I've begun the Spot Jewels drinking game. So anytime you see him, his arm, his camera, standing next to David Tennant, when you spot Jules, you have to drink. So that's the new game. I think we tried that one um, when we were watching it. As, as, as <laughs> said, we had a we had a real big party here in the house, and um, uh, Wendy had bought me uh, got a cake with my photo of myself and David Tennant put onto this cake. So that that was quite a surprise, and uh, I had friends come far and wide for that one, uh, Doctor Who fans, and I, it really was. You know, when we were watching it, it was about 35, 40 of us all watching it at the same time. And, oh, there he is, as soon as my first glimpse of my hand was on you know they, they, then they knew what they were looking for and uh, great cheers when I finally bit the bullet <laughs> <laughs> it was superb that but I mean you know as I said watching it through in widescreen you, you, you'd see a lot more of me in actual fact particularly when the um, the president dies but anyway onto the review onto the review well actually I wanted to point out from an emotional <laughs> point of view uh, Lewis and I can relate to the feeling that you get when you see yourself on television, especially something that you feel passionate about. We were lucky some 20 years ago to be included in a Pink Floyd video. And we didn't know we were going to be in it. And then we were watching MTV just to check out the premiere of the new video. And the two of us are in the video. And <laughs> we, we literally bounced off the walls. You know, like you, the, the rush that you get. Once again, it's a part part of history. So, which video is that then? Uh, which song? One, it's for one of these days from the Delicate Sound of Thunder. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, music. Album. Yeah, was it? They used two uh, songs from the live album, "One of These Days" and "Comfortably Numb." That, those were their choices to release as like singles or promotional videos to promote their live album. Yeah. And we were watching the premiere of it because the, the full-length video hadn't come out. It was MTV was just showing a video from the new live album where big Pink Floyd fans were like, yeah, let's watch it. And we put it on, and then, boom, we're on the screen in the audience. And wow. it was like, and there's Lou next to me <laughs> well, and the whole bit. And... It, this all ties together because it's uh, it, we, we reappear on screen just as... Um, you know, Nick Mason says, you know, one of these one days. Of these days. Mm -hmm. And that's if those that are watching he wants to spot us. That, that's when to look. <laughs> but um, it's um, during the concert sequence of this, there's a big inflatable pig that comes out. And um, and that kind of ties into um, these two episodes because the Battlesea Power Station, yes. which is in which which is featured in this um these two stories these two episodes rather now wait, and be before you go there lou okay. also point out the fact that in that point in the song david gilmore on slide guitar oh yes plays yes the yes doctor who theme song <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay great. now oh, you do hear a bit of that don't you that's right now it, the battersea yeah, power station featured in the age of steel uh i was very uh, we, we were joking a little bit before the start of the broadcast that um, that in the Age of Steel, uh, they, the production team found a way to get a Pink Floyd and a Led Zeppelin icon, rock and roll icons, into one. Zeppelins were like. For those that aren't familiar or don't know, we should mention that um, the 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 uh, one of the great albums that Pink Floyd came out with. They came out with many, but one of yeah, them is um, Animals. Which the cover features the Battlesea um, 
uh, power station on it. And they have, uh, if you're familiar with the station, the power station, they have uh, four smokestacks coming out, and they had this giant inflatable pig tied to between the two of between them. them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, an interesting story is that it did get loose, and they had um, riflemen on hand for um, to and shoot it sh- down. To shoot it down. <laughs> Which and did they it, missed. Did it, and yeah, and then an airplane pilot caught, uh, saw it. Yeah, the German <laughs> Air Force was dispatched because it drifted over the English Channel. <laughs> so it was like a UFO sighting, but it was a giant pig. A giant flying pig gets reported on on German. Uh, we, we digress, but it's so... How funny is it that it's all tied together to Pink Fly story and Doctor Who and Pink Floyd being related? It, it really is extraordinary in, in, in all these things that have, have come together. And we've got Jules on talking about <laughs> seeing himself on, you know, you're, you're an actor, you're a person who's, who's performed before, but this is something that you grew up with and idolized. So it's more than Absolutely, just... Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, uh, I even did my own fanzine in the 80s, you know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it was just, um, you know, it was just a dream, you know, uh, absolute dream. And it was the whole point, uh, it was the whole reason I started doing the um, the background work as a supporting artist was simply because I knew eventually the chance would come, especially being filmed in Cardiff. To, to get on Doctor Who, that was the whole point of doing it. All part of your master plan. It, it, it was, and, and to see it come off like this is just, you know, just fantastic. Really. It's surreal, yeah. like everything slots into place so nicely. Well, uh, I mean, yes, you know... Like the, master plans coming together. Who would have thought it? I mean, you know, back in, I don't know, 80, 83, 84, we set up a local Dwas group. Um, we interviewed Tom Baker, you know, I was still at school at the time. Um, in the in the early 80s and, and we went to conventions you know that was when i first met paul cornell that was about 86 and he was he was a convention organizer and, and and a writer even back then uh, and and you know i see he's he's um he's gone on to very great things hasn't yeah he? um uh, and, and and then being a retailer making my living selling doctor who stuff um which i still am and then to actually be in the program is just I mean, some of my customers would never believe it. I mean, they, they, they probably can't believe it. They, they say, was that really him? You know? <laughs> I, I, I mean, most of the ones I'm still in contact with, you know, obviously knew, knew all about it and that I was going to be on, but mm. there'd be a few people for sure locally think, was that really him? I can't believe it, you know? <laughs> and, of course, you know, the episode before, Jessica Atkins is, um, was, is also from Plymouth. You know, just showing how they've cast the net out to, uh, to get talent. Um... You know, she's she's a very talented young eleven-year-old girl who's who's incidentally started in the same amateur drama 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 group that I'm with now, the Western College Players. Um, wow, she was excellent in the Girl in the Fire. Very, very good. Yeah, I, I haven't actually seen her since, but um, you know, I, I'm I'm sure I'll bump into her her soon enough. And in fact, I could always ask her to come on the show. You never know. She <laughs> she she is quite young still, so it may have to be during the day, perhaps with just James or something. Uh, I know you've uh, yeah, no, you've already right. recorded your review of uh, Girl in the Fireplace. Well, now. we can always redo it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I, I I could certainly ask to ask. One of the things when they rec- when they um, 
started making episodes of the X-Files when it first started, you know, they, they began the production some, what, 10-something years ago. Um, they went out of their way you know, when they were shooting it in Vancouver and stuff to, to use local talent so that it didn't feel like a Hollywood production, that it felt very believable because you didn't see the same group of people that you would see on every other show right. in the background and be guest stars. And, I, and I'm kind of getting the vibe from what you're telling us Doctor Who is very similar, that it's not the usual London brand of actors uh, Absolutely, that, yeah. that are coming aboard and who you see in every soap and every show and every sitcom. It does seem to be that way. And, and well, certainly with the, um, the background casting, none of the agencies that do it are, are based in London. Yeah, as I said, there's two in Bristol and one in Wales. And, uh, I suppose that, that in itself is unusual. Um, uh, obviously, they do film in London. And I, chances are they use uh, one of the London agencies for that. But um, you know, it, it does seem to be major, um, regional, which is is great. You know, it's good for, good for people who live all the way down in Plymouth because we don't get that much filming down here. There's been very little this year. You know, the previous couple of years we've had a movie or two, um, but uh, you know, to, to get on Doctor Who's great. Absolutely great. So let's go back to our yeah. review of the, the review. Yes. We, we digressed a bit. Well, yeah, I just wanted to mention um, if we were just talking about you know Pink Floyd giving a nod to Doctor Who, and maybe perhaps now Doctor Who's given a, a nod back to Pink Floyd by you know using the including an inflatable Zeppelin in between the the stacks of the. Um, the Battersea, the Battersea Power Station, but there were uh, there were many other um, nods, I guess, if you will, in these two sto in this story, if you will. Um, it, it opens up with a little tribute to Frankenstein. Um, that that opening sequence in Rise of the Cybermen before the beginning credits was um, very reminiscent of you know the um, the Frankenstein creature Monster. coming to life. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A lot and, of people um, said that they didn't like that, particularly on our forums and people mm -hmm. who. Who I had it, spoken to, but I thought it was really cool. I liked it. It, it was done as an afterthought. If if the commentaries uh, for that episode indicates that uh, Russell T Davies did that, um, I guess they had something originally planned or maybe even shot, and they did that. Um, they changed it, and because Russell felt that they needed to have, I guess, the Cybermen there. You know, in because we don't see the Cybermen until towards the end of that episode. So. Mm -hmm. um, it, they were sort of out of focus and everything, but um, but it, it it did seem like a a, a, a tribute there. And I think throughout uh, Rise of the Cybermen, there were other um, references and tributes. Um, just having um, Rose's fortieth birth, not Rose's, uh, Mrs. Jackie Tyler's fortieth birthday, um, coincides with the fortieth anniversary of the Cybermen. Yeah. And obviously, this is a Cybermen story, and. Um, the license plate on the truck is yes. IEM 066, which harkens back to Invasion in 1966 with the International Electromatics, which they used as the name for the front company. And I was wondering if 066 was General Order 66, being a Star Wars fan, <laughs> uh, for a number of reasons. The mask of the Cybermen coming down in Age of Steel was mm. very reminiscent of Vader's mask coming down in Episode yeah. 3. No, I I took it as the year of six, um, 1966. Oh, okay, fair enough. That's not a I bad. Mean, that's pretty good too. Hey, it's it's all working for us. I mean, it, some some people were even um, commenting that um, that Mickey's double Ricky that the Doctor had some foreknowledge of this 
Uh, yeah, and even that, even alluded no to, but not made factual. So it's left for the audience yeah. to, you know, make up their own mind. Yeah, decide themselves. It, it's if you, I guess it's the commentary, not the commentary, the uh, confidential. If you watch that episode, um, you know, no clock, you know, seems to have that feeling that the doctor knew it all along, but um, but David Tennant you know feels otherwise and i i think i'm more in the david Tennant camp where i i don't know if the doctor really knew that ahead of time because um it just makes the doctor team a little bit more all-powerful and all-knowing yeah i uh, no, i i tend to agree with you and I, and I tend to agree with with what david Tennant was saying that it just you know that it, it just coincidence or or more that maybe the doctor knows through a feeling Less than a, you know, like an actual, mm -hmm. oh, I was there and I know. Intuition, you know, like. An intuition or just a, a gut feeling because the same thing happened with his intuition about, let's say, Bad Wolf and some other things that he had feelings about but not actual yeah. knowledge about some things. So, there, there, yeah. and you know what? It's left for people like us to have fun and say, well, and debate it. And, 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 and kudos to Russell T. Davies and, and his team for allowing us to have things like that that are open-ended. And exactly. And I have to say, credits also to, to Tom McRae, who was the, the writer uh, of uh, both the, the Age of Steel and, and the Rise of Cybermen, because he's done all sorts of other things, like um, anyone who's, who's got satellite will know of, of Mile High, that sort of uh, a drama series about a bunch of, sort of flight attendants, rather strangely. And also a few <laughs> years ago, um, there was uh, a program on Channel 4 called As If. He's also written for, for No Angels, uh, which is a, a very popular uh, program on Channel mm -hmm. 4. So, I mean, he's, he's obviously a very clever bloke. And, yes. uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's put together some really intelligently written stories here. Mm -hmm. I feel, anyway, yeah. I mean... Some people haven't liked it, uh, particularly the, the rise of the Cybermen, because it's it, it's sort of um, more of a, a slow pace compared to the Age of Steel. But I think that was necessary, and yeah. I enjoyed it because they had to introduce the Cybermen and they had to set the scene and um, sort of uh, gain momentum there. You know, they couldn't. I, just I, I know what it reminds me of quite a bit is um, the best of both worlds when we really finally get to see the, the Borg. Um, oh, right, and yeah. if you remember on that one, you, you really don't get to see how bad they are till The second half. The second episode, yeah. And we were waiting all that. I remember when that went out. We, it was the season cliffhanger, wasn't it? We had to wait ages till, to see part two. And, uh, and, and it, it seemed to be similar like that. You know, yeah. we got 10 minutes of the Cybermen or 15 minutes at the very end. Of they didn't us wait that into, long, though. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully it was just a week. Yeah. yeah. And 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 by coincidence, the Borg were. Um, we, you can you can argue the Borg came from the Cybermen. You know the the concept Definitely. of the Borg. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. And even the lines, a lot of the lines that the Cybermen said oh, originally, yeah. mm -hmm. um, like resistance is futile. And and, and um, you will become us, and be you will be assimilated. It's, yeah, you will be like us. That sort of thing. Um, is all I think they pinched it from Doctor Who. I think oh, somebody yeah. mm -hmm. was, was up late night watching syndications of um, of Doctor Who and thought, what what can we have for another story of Star yeah. Trek? I don't so, know. Mm. Let's the piss out of Doctor Who, so to speak. So yeah. more than for, for uh, over twenty years prior to the Borg's introduction to Star Trek, 
it was in you know the Cybermen had already established themselves in Doctor Who. Yeah, and it, it makes me wonder if um, when this uh, series is shown on uh, presumably on the Sci-Fi Channel, obviously we don't know yet. Hopefully they'll they'll pick up the second series again. It makes me wonder if there are going to be um, any American chaps who are thinking, who are these guys? This is just taking the, <laughs> this is just the yeah. Borg. You know, they're, they're taking the piss. Out I was of thinking the, the same they thing. Yeah. and it's like no, actually, the other way around. <laughs> I, I guess it's one of the reasons why I wanted to make a point of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anybody listening, uh, the, the Cybermen were first, the Borg was second. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> Speaking of tributes, the the bursting through the windows, I thought it was a great tribute to you know the Cybermen bursting out of their um, incubators or their, their tombs and yeah. that that we've seen you know in um, many times in the past when you see Cybermen breaking through things, and I thought that was a great tribute to the past there as well. Something again? What do you mean? I've seen them before. What are they? Cybermen. Mr. Lumic. Mr. President, I suppose a remark about crashing the party would be appropriate at this point. <laughs> I forbade this. These are my children, sir. Would you deny my family? What are they, robots? Worse than that. Who were these people? Doesn't matter. They're people. They were. Don't let all their humanity taken away. That's a living brain jammed inside a cybernetic body with a heart of steel. All emotions removed. Why no emotions? Because it hurts. I demand to know, Lumen. These people, who were they? They were homeless and wretched and useless until I saved them and elevated them and gave them life eternal. And now I leave you in their capable hands. Good night, sir. Good night, Mr. President. We have been upgraded. Into what? The next level of mankind. We are human point two. Every citizen will receive a free upgrade. You will become like us. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for what's been done to you. But listen to me. This experiment ends tonight. Upgrading is compulsory. And if I refuse? Don't. What if I refuse? I'm telling you, don't. What happens if I refuse? Then you are not compatible. What happens then? You will be deleted. Other references in this episode is um, we got a few for Torchwood again, mm. and I don't know if we're getting a bit excessive with this. <laughs> I, I agree, uh, especially the the news report on Rose's cell phone seems to cut off. Uh, something yeah. along the lines of um, the Torchwood Institute announced today that, and it, that that's where she clicked off. And, and I'm I... wondering if there was, you know, did this, if, 
if the Torchwood Institute is what we think it is to fight alien menaces, where the hell were they? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it kind of contradicts itself. So the Torchwood in an alternate reality, you know, for all we know, could be inventing a better bug spray, you know? It but could even, be. The, even the, in, that report um, could have been crucial. But even in school reunion, when Mickey's on the computers, you know, like trying to get more information yeah. about UFOs mm-hmm. and stuff, it comes up Torchwood denied. Access denied. So yeah. you would have thought that they would have been on the scene or would have known about this or would have had some man in the field or something. Well, in, of, unless they're operating undercover or whatever, and they, they, maybe Possibly. they were. Yeah. Yeah, they sent Sarah Jane in. Because we were kind of speculating, you know, on the forums, you know, since Torchwood was introduced now in the series and how how does this work with UNIT now? And maybe there were Torchwood agents in UNIT and we just never knew it at the time. You know, of course, we're making this all up. But yeah, well, I mean, and the, and the fact that the Torchwood has been mentioned all the way back to, you know, Bad Wolf. I mean, it's just it's amazing to me that the, the planning that the forethought being used by by the production team it's just amazing oh you know we were talking about some um some influences or or references in the story um l- the little details of uh the doctor in age of steel climbing down into the tunnels and saying it's cold and then capping the cybermen back like in tomb of the cybermen uh and being down in the sort of a sewer you know like r- the feel of the invasion that they were down in this tunnel filled with with Cybermen. I mean, the the throwbacks, but without it being over the top, at no point did I think, oh, they're just, you know, this is just the exact same thing uh, that we've seen before. You know, uh, the problem I had with, let's say, like, Attack of the Cybermen under Colin Baker's era, it was very obvious they tried to get every Cybermen story jammed in. Um... The doctor saying above, between, below, a, a, a throwback to the five doctors, and even the gas tanks on the hill when they first see the Battersea Power Station, the, the gas tanks from Silver Nemesis in the background. Yes. Yeah. Um, may not be the exact same well. tanks. I don't. I'm not that familiar with the layout of uh, around Battersea. Um, well, yeah, I mean, another reference, and I didn't catch this, but um, Rob, who goes by the name of War and Peace on our forums, mentioned this, that um, th- th- there might have been a nod to the five doctors where they attacked the battle sea, uh, power station by going above, above below, between, and in between. Uh, above, mm-hmm. between, below, yeah, so it's just, yeah, it's just, just, you know, just like Rasslin's tune. Yep. Oh, <laughs> did you? I'm sorry. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But there, I mean, if, if we wanted to go into Age of Steel, there, I, I don't know if this was a nod or just a, a bit of, of predictable storytelling. But um, the cyber controller at the end ripping out the cords—it was a little bit like Aliens, with the with the um, the Queen Alien and going after them, and you know, jumping on you know on, onto that rope ladder and all that. I, I never, I never got that impression. You know, it didn't strike me. But now that you mention it, yes, I suppose he, so. He struck me more as Davros, which I didn't like. That yeah, there was but, a negative to be said. It was a little too Davros for me. But that, I know. I'm, but it was coincidental being on the wheelchair because the actor had just broken his leg and he was afraid he wasn't going to be. That's it. That was what I was going to say. Yeah, and he was, you know, so they kind of made him at the last minute a character in a wheelchair because of his um, leg. Mm. But um, so it wasn't. It was completely unintentional. I'm sure fans will be 
moaning about that, but uh, you know, it's it's not. Um, I don't think that was how they originally cast it because it was like a week before they were due to, to start filming or something, or like a week after he'd been cast or something that he broke his ankle and you know they had to put him in the wheelchair. Which you know a lot of people said, oh, it's Davros, it's Davros. No, we'll just look beyond the wheelchair and it's not at all. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, I I thought the lion. Uh, you and I talked about this yesterday, James. I thought the lion sleeps tonight was a little out of place. In, in I mean, uh, I don't know. Sound. I don't know about this because I personally thought, and so did all my housemates. I thought it was really, really funny. I mean, I don't know whether it's just the British sense of humour. What What did you think to it, Jules? Did you find that? Well, when we were watching it, it was out of place. Well, when we were watching it, we were, we'd all had a couple of drinks by that time, <laughs> as you can imagine, and. Um, when it came on, yeah, everyone burst out laughing. They thought it was yeah. it was great, hilarious. Yeah, but, um, but looking back now, it's an odd bit of comedy in what is quite a dark two-parter, really, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Um, now, is and, that and it the... seems a bit out of place. Is it from the Lion King? Well, it's originally. No. But it's, it's an old, it's an old hit, isn't it? An old eighties yeah, hit. Because I know Tolkien's there was a reference to the Lion King in the, in the Christmas Invasion. I was just wondering if it had anything it, well, to do with that. That's the use... season's bad wolf. <laughs> it's lions. <laughs> <Bad> lions. <laughs> they used the the song in the Lion King, but it's a, a song by the Tokens from the fifties, and it's and, and it's not the original. Uh, I'm thinking of believe. the eighties one. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. is it by Type Fit? I think is the. Uh, oh, it was the remake of it. Is that the remake? Yeah, that's. The the, I think that. I think so. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, it, the the thing for me. My my criticism of using that, uh, there was parallels being being um, drawn with Nazi Germany and concentration camps, and the Germans used to use classical music to drown out the screams of their victims. And I thought the use of classical music there, first off, uh, making it a little less comic and a little more serious, making the tone a little more serious, uh, and and historically accurate, but also that. Um, what was the significance of The Lion Sleeps Tonight, as opposed to maybe something else with a message behind it, like, um, um, I'm trying to think of a song where the, the song itself would fit the scene. It just seemed a little... But I, but I, I, th I thought that, that was kind of more indicative of the attitude of the Cybers Corporation in that they really didn't care. They were yeah. just, they had a job oh. to do, they were going to do what they wanted, how they wanted to do things, and everybody else be down. They don't care, like, they have their own goals, and, you know, if anybody gets in the way, then that's it, they're cyberfied or whatever, you know, so... I'm sorry, Lewis, I didn't mean to step on your No, no, I, I, I mean, no, I agree with what you're saying. I, I mean, if it did have... If, the, if there was a song that had, like, an overlying message, it might have been, might have been just too thick or too over-the-top um, for the story. Which is why I initially suggested something like classical music, where if it was just a piece, let's say, by Mozart... Mm -hmm. Or Beethoven, or or something you know, like sure. or, or even yeah. uh, you know something more operatic. Um, the tone and 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 more importantly the the, the symmetry with the um, totalitarian government would be that much stronger. I mean, the plumes of smoke coming out of Battersea, uh, very reminiscent of a shot in Schindler's List with Spielberg having the the plumes of smoke. Um, in Auschwitz and, and things like that, you know, those, those things were were being drawn for me there, and it made it and made this story dark and powerful because of that. And um, once again, the show being a family show, 
if you're an adult, you pick up on these references. If you're a child, you don't understand these things. It's just simply plumes of smoke. But as an adult and someone who who somewhat um, interested in history and, and in that era, um, to me it was very moving mm-hmm. to see these plumes of smoke or to see the, the callousness in which um, the Cybus Corporation... They they mentioned something about incinerating the the remaining. Oh yes, yeah. That you know, and, thing, and, and or, or those that aren't um, compatible will be incinerated. Yeah, will be incinerated, so. and and those things are very powerful to me. You know, it just and that's what made this dark and strong for me, and that's why more so that the lion sleeps tonight. Just was again, I'm, well, maybe I'm making more of an issue of something that was not a, a big deal, but. So, but now a whole generation of children are going to be terrorized every time they hear that song. <laughs> and, and quite rightly so, it's a, a blooming awful song to begin with anyway. <laughs> so they'll be twice as terrorized. Yeah, every time they hear it, it chills down the spine and just the high-pitched... <laughs> oh, I'm getting terrorized now. <laughs> it kind you can... of reminded me, but um, it sounds silly to draw a parallel between this, but when it first started playing... There's, uh, I, I don't know if, if anyone's seen Kill Bill, and I'm sure you have. Um, oh, yes. But uh, when there's the, the whole whistling thing, when um, that, that lady with the eye patch is going to kill the bride with this injection, she's getting prepared and everything. Um, and that was very sinister, and, and it kind of didn't fit the mood and the, the, the song, and was just a bit eerie. And, uh, I think that was a similar sort of thing. It was uh, eerie as well as funny, um, you know, and mm-hmm. also very cold. I thought of them to just say, "Oh, well, let's put on a quite a happy tune just for the sake of it, just to, to drown out their screams." But uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and then, maybe and we are making mountains out of molehills. The, the 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 other side of the coin, the, the positives, you know, looking at things that I really, really enjoyed, I honestly did not predict who Gemini was going to be. I, I, I don't know yeah, about you guys. Nice I, I honestly didn't know it was going to be um, Rose's dad. I, I just, I was trying to guess who I thought it was going to be. I thought it was the um, the uh, henchman to. Um, the, the yeah, the guy, guy, the guy who betrayed John Luke yeah. in the end. Who, who wound up doing it. it anyway. Who wound yeah. up playing that part anyway. But he did an excellent job in that role. He did, I just yeah. Thought, yeah. Um, I liked that a lot. I mean, some people thought that it was pointless and didn't really see why he would do that then. But I, I got well, he it. He reminded I, me a bit of Packer, again, from The Invasion, where you've got this henchman who, you know, he just... He's just doing what he's told. He's making his money and you know getting paid and doing his thing. Uh, I I was saying after just seeing part one that I thought that um, I would like to have seen the villain be a little less assuming, more of a Bill Gates where his he, um, his unassuming manner would be threatening only in that you know his real power but his personality isn't i thought the, i thought the portrayal was a little um a little more over the top than i expected from from a part like that i think there was a, a, a bit of a missed opportunity there mm-hmm. yeah well quite a lot of people um draw drew parallels to between um him and the, the the head guy of the invasion, his name is Tobias Vaughn. Tobias Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, but of course, um, he was a, a lot more suave and smooth, um, nicely spoken, the kind of stereotypical villain, in a way. He's especially stereotypical British villain, uh, in that he's, he's very calm and calculating um, until the moment when he erupts in violent anger or something. Um, mm. And I, I thought, personally, it was re rather refreshing that they had... That for once he was, you could tell that he was an evil genius, you know. Uh, in, in it wasn't as subtle as, um, you know, he definitely had a vendetta, which you could understand from the offset because it, it makes sense that he's a, he's a guy who wants to save himself, who's a but genius. I, but they, they, he mentions to the president, I've done all these great things for humanity, and they, I don't, I don't think they ever really established for me. Uh, I would have felt more sympathy for the character had I known the good things that he had done. Um, and then, you know, but it, but it was a straightforward villain. One of, one of my uh, my overall critique of the story is that this is just a traditional Doctor Who action adventure. Yes, and is. that's what Very makes it fun. Uh, no, uh, no bones, you know, the bad guy is clearly defined... You know, I was when I'm being analytical about these things, I, I take a step back and say, well, overall, it's a very traditional Doctor Who story. Mm -hmm. um, your, your villains are very clearly defined. The heroes are clearly defined. There's some sacrifice and there's there's fun. You know, there's action and suspense and all the things you want in a, mm -hmm. in a fun Doctor Who story. Well, uh -huh. it's uh, directed by Graham Harper, a class from the classic series, from the original <laughs> series, if you will, and um, maybe he he brought that 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 to this to this. Um, Two episodes as well. You know, that that and, classic bit of fun, the, the yeah, classic bit yeah. of adventure. Um, yeah, you know, he's, he's, adventure. he's a veteran. He understands it, and he's he's brought a lot of. You can tell, not just from the influences, but the way it's directed and things that it is very classic Who, and it's nice that they they've. Uh, I, I, I have to say that the direction is actually very good. Um, yes. You know, because a lot of, the special effects were incredible, and a lot of the shots, you know, were dependent on stuff that was only going to be there in post production, like the the big zeppelins and all that. Yet the compositions and uh, were, were were great shots. Um, the acting, um, it should be noted that Noel Clark, you know, in the dual roles, did an outstanding job. Outstanding, yes. Definitely, definitely. Um, the overall mood and atmosphere it was very cinematic, uh, just sort of like um, what we were saying previously with um, The Empty Child and um, The Doctor Dances can be mended into one movie. This is really plays together yes. very well. Yeah, you know, yeah I where... would have put it as an hour-long thing if it would have been up to me because it flows a lot better, I think, if it's done like that. Because I, I watched them back-to-back -back uh, today and um, it really makes sense. But, uh, yeah, I have they... to say... No, I was just saying that you could merge the two together and you have a great movie, you know, yes. um, Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel, you know, just mend them together and it makes a great cinematic movie, if you will. I have to say, um, just kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, how good was Mrs. Moore? Oh, no, I wanted oh, to make a mention yeah. of that. She's an incredible character and... You know, once again, they they don't they're no two dimensional characters or or, or sub characters or whatever um, in in the in the show anymore. I mean, they really fleshed it out, and you really felt something when she met her. Well, I I don't know if we should give spoiler warnings or not, but I'm assuming everyone's seen it by now. You know, her demise. You know, it was just. Um, 
and 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 the end when the doctor mentions you know find her husband and children uh real name was alice price i think yeah um, or angela price possibly. oh angela yes yes you're right i'm sorry but yeah, yeah just... i loved her character i felt kind of weird in the rise of the cyberman because we didn't really learn that much about her but that's why i was really pleased why they as you say they fleshed out her character Sorry, and being on. an alternate reality she may wind, turn up in torchwood or doctor who you know we don't we don't know this is true <laughs> it, you this know, is going, yeah it's, it's this this leaves a lot of doors open and, and in some ways uh, closes a few because my question is if the Cybermen are back in our reality, how will they appear? And, well, and that, that's mm -hmm. interesting. We, um, you know, I made a mention that, you know, they, uh, this on our uh, website, you know, after they spent so much money and effort in redesigning the Cybermen, um, now if we are to meet our Cybermen in our universe again, I mean, I'm guessing they're going to keep the same design after they're investing all this money into the new, you know, these new Cybermen outfits. And um, I'm just hoping they change the C logo on the chest because, you know, <laughs> yeah. Cybers had nothing That's to do no with uh, Mondas. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's going to be interesting now whether or not... Um, when we do see the Cybermen, if it's going to be our, again, if it's going to be our Cybermen or these Cybermen, if it's these Cybermen, they're going to have to somehow transgress that universe into our universe, unless we're back in that universe again. But, you know, it was kind of made clear at the end of Age of Steel that we can't go back. So if we can't go back, do the Cybermen come to us? You, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm wondering whether... You know, I, I spoke to Ken about it yesterday. Whether well, there's something more sinister going on here, because you never know why they were pulled into this alternate reality. I mean, okay, the TARDIS has its um, yeah, its panic attacks every now and again, and just something silly like the end of in uh, 1879. It's all because Mickey. Mickey left his uh, lifted his finger off that button <laughs> after a half hour. <laughs> well, I don't know. I get the impression that they've been uh, pulled through to this alternate reality by some greater power. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, we we know this is going to be a minor, minor spoiler warning, I should say, mm -hmm. is that um, from the impossible planet and the uh, Satan pit, which is going to be uh, not next week's episode, but the week Huge. after. Um, that they're going, they've been pushed to the edge of creation, or something like that. It implies that it's in some form of alternate reality, or you know, something like that. So I'm not entirely sure that it's it's exactly as accidental as it seems, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there's there's more to it. And, and also, there's there's a recurrence of numbers, which every single episode seems to crop up somewhere or online, or you know, there's lots of references made to um, two nine zero five oh six or something like that. If you listen, if you pay attention, and I'm wondering what that's all about. Was that the emotion code, um, the, the motion chip code, or something? I don't know. They mentioned it in Age of Steel when they were in the van and stuff, and um, it's been made. Uh, oh, the, the, the code, the the code for um, um, Rose's dad's Gemini. He yeah, mentioned the code. Number. Something like that. Yeah, and it's been mentioned in other episodes. So, could this and be also, the new Bad Wolf? They're doing Rep Lost on this, aren't they? Yeah, and also. Yeah, the number is Lost. Yeah, and they're, they're also. It's I believe also the twenty sixth of June. 
2006 is when the last episode is going to be shown, which is, you know, like, 2-6-0-6. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering what it's all about. I, I, I have to admit that I'm wondering if there's something there because it seems to be cropping up all over well, the place. You're very keen on spotting it. I haven't noticed it myself, but I wasn't paying attention to the numbers. Not noticing that till a few episodes in. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the release on The Impossible Planet says, Rose finds herself further away from home than ever before on a desolate world in orbit of a black hole in the first episode of this two-parter. Uh, mm. So, so uh, you know, I don't know, make, make what you will of it. Whether we're, we're probably not going back to the alternate reality, but there's, there might be something deeper going on, as James is saying, where... Um, yeah, I'll have to find the exact numbers because um, I'm not sure of what they are, but there are some recurring numbers, it seems. I don't know whether it's just me being paranoid or what. <laughs> well, there might be some interesting things to explore if, if these Cybermen do come into our universe, because if these Cybermen meet our Cybermen, will there be cyber wars between the two Cybermen? Wow, or who yeah. are the real Cybermen? And then... Um, you know, and then if 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 the cyber Jackie, is, you know Jackie Tyler Cyberman is, um, you know, comes to our universe and meets Jackie Tyler, uh, you know, of our universe, that might be, um, well, I don't know. That <laughs> it's just some interesting possibilities there. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, so shall we draw together our thoughts, gentlemen, and, and review the uh, give it a, a, a mark out of five or is there anything else that you can think of the top of the head that you want to say well I, I did want to make a mention that um, the TARDIS when it does crash land and well it has the explosions and it has no power and all that um, I, I thought it was a little odd that well I, I guess I don't know there's really no way to go around get around this but um, it's since it's dimensionally transcendental I would think that they would ha still have to be some power in the TARDIS you know keeping that energy you know that 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 transdimensional power going because I guess it will turn inside out or whatever. I don't know what would happen if it really ran out of power. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the this was always described as drawing its power from the Eye of Harmony, and in the Paul McGann movie, that every TARDIS sort of drew you know drew its power, mm -hmm. going expanding this a little bit. Um, but with Gallifrey being gone. Where is the TARDIS drawing its power from other than its own source? Well, Gallifrey might still exist. It's just the Time Lords, obviously, aren't. Okay. So well, but, still around. but now or that the, we're in this alternate the... universe, there must be another Gallifrey and, <laughs> and no, other I Time thought, Lords. I, I thought that's, that, that, that was the point, is that that, white, that was why it didn't function in that well, universe. Well, yeah, because it needed our universe power or whatever. Yeah, it drew which is power why the doctor said, oh, I've just given up the it, 10 years In that case... It could never make it through eSpace. Um, no, but the, he, he also referenced um, in the episode, he was saying, um, oh, but with the Time Lords, you know, they were always looking out for you, etc. Right. You could, you could be back in time for tea time, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, and it also, like we don't know, that, you know, although the Time Lords may be gone, and, and perhaps even Gallifrey being gone, um, the black hole that they harness might not, you know, might still exist. So yeah, that's my point. That's, um, that's exactly it. With Russell and but I, and all of that. I'm a firm believer that the Time Lords are in hiding. That that's uh, that's been my take all along. <laughs> well, that's what I reckon. It could be. It could with, be. 
and the whole face of Bo thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the what's secret that yeah. 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 you don't know. It's but I also have to say, I thought it was very, very cool. Just as a side note, how Mickey's van was blue, and how that that's going to be like his TARDIS now. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I just I just watched it again today, and I thought, oh, hold on, that's Mickey's TARDIS now. That's cool. <laughs> just a very minor thing, but I thought it was funny. Uh, there, there's a scene in Age of Steel where the Doctor Rose. Um, uh, Rose's dad and what the, the the girl the woman's name Mrs. Um, Mrs. Moore Mrs. Moore. Moore are hiding behind the dumpster, and the yes. Cybermen are marching towards them. And the Doctor reaches up with the sonic screwdriver, and I, I didn't quite get what the oh. scoop was. Why they ignored? Yeah, also him. they also like turned around like somehow that. Was that it deterrent? Them, yeah. I I How I didn't understand that, that. I don't think that was well defined in the story. Did you get that, Jules? Did you understand? Yeah. No, not really. No, he just he just uses his screwdriver, doesn't he? I don't know exactly what he does there, but um, it's like he's maybe ready to do something, but they walk by, don't they? So. Oh, perhaps. Oh, that's yeah. that's true. Perhaps he was he was going to act somehow. And then they just con they oh. they ignored it and continued. Well, I didn't. Well, I thought I he actually did it. make a sound. I thought it actually he did. Oh, did he? I thought, or but I I didn't I didn't understand that either. I thought that was a bit vague and a bit um, vague. Yeah. Yeah. I, another thing that didn't make sense to me was after they this whole thing about the um the motion chip being unlocked and the Cybermen were feeling and and they were they were getting upset and um that whole sequence. There's a se there's a shot there where. A Cyberman head just explodes, and yes. it yeah. just made no sense whatsoever. Okay, you can have you could be having a, a mental breakdown, but your head wouldn't explode. I, 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 I thought that was kind of like uh, I really can't take it anymore. Maybe these Cybermen have this uh, self-destruct mechanism where their head pops off. Last <laughs> 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 resorts must kill by using head as projectile. It, it, it sounded. It seemed to me like they like the effects were like. Wouldn't it be cool to have a head explode? Like, okay, let's just do it. And yeah, let's it do didn't it. really, you know, it didn't really make sense in the story. And then everything started exploding. And again, I didn't really buy how everything started exploding. You know, um, I I did enjoy though the, the again the touch from the invasion where. Um, the emotion is used to destroy the Cybermen or, or to confuse them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, instead of gold, because I, I hate that. I just never believed that. I never the old gold guard, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that uh, that for me was always a little a little hazy. I I, I think it's I, from one of the things that Russell T Davies has been has said since day one is that you know it's about human. The show is about the human experience and and um or about life and, and, and emotions and things like that and um, the Cybermen being destroyed by emotions because they've had it removed is more powerful than they're allergic to gold mm -hmm. you know they're, 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 we can understand about emotions that that brings the human being into the story the, the, the Cybermen being allergic to gold doesn't do anything other than just being yeah. a clever trick yeah you would think they yeah. would have you know Transgress that, you know. They were upgraded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and got past so that. Have a gold filter or something. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I, I, another slightly annoying thing, which is um, very common being sort of like a tech geek person myself in watching movies and television, is sometimes they um, kind of gloss over some of the tech stuff just not to get bogged down on it and thinking that no one's going to notice or whatever. The, the, the whole, I mean, not, I don't know how else you would have done it, but um, Mickey learn you know it was i i think he stepped beyond his realm really you know and and came through at the end but um i i don't know how he did it you know i mean with the doc, with the clues the doctor was making i know mickey's become this little tech guru but i think he he's not that good <laughs> but <laughs> i i got it he's I the tin dog it. Yeah, he's the tin dog. Well, and that and that reminds me of another lost opportunity with Sean Huckster, who's a, a friend of ours uh, to Podshock. Uh, he had posted on the forums that um, the whole Rose is a Yorkshire Terrier now is a dog. Uh, there could have been a little comment made, you know. Um, Mickey refers to himself, you know, I'm not a tin dog. Rose could have said, well, at least you're not a real dog. You know, right. <laughs> that would have been a nice inclusion as well. Yeah, that would have but, been good. I mean, I, I really did enjoy uh, both of these um, together, and I think I enjoy them both. Um, I, I enjoy the, I, I enjoy them more as a complete set, as you know, as opposed to the sum of their parts. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I, I I'm gonna give this. Um, well, I, if if I was to rate them individually, I probably would give Rise of the Cybermen four Tardis groans and maybe Age of Steel four and a half and five. But I think together as a whole story, five Tardis groans. I agree. Five from me. I'm giving them four. Um, I I I thought they were a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, hearkening like you said, like Lou took me to task about um, Girl in the Fireplace having some plot holes. I thought that this prevented me from making, some of the plot holes here, for me, prevented me from making this, you know, the perfect story it really could be. Um, which which one troubled you most um, as far as any in particular? Or? Boy, I really don't want to say the lion sleeps tonight. But oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because I, I seem to make a big deal about You're that. You're going to get emails now like, you fool, it's black comedy. No, you get it. Yeah, no, it's just, uh, you know, just like like a few little things that for me, um, you, yeah. it just just didn't add up. Like, like you said, it, it was... Uh, a f- maybe you know what it is a few unanswered questions like that thing with the doctor and the sonic screwdriver and whatever it's these are if it, it seemed like that perhaps there was even more to this story that they had to get rid of just that simply to make it into it yeah. into the mm-hmm. two parter that it could have mm-hmm. probably even been a three parter yeah. based on the fact that the actors mentioned in the commentary that there was a lot more to it and and some stuff like that. I mean, perhaps a little more time to develop, but then again, they had an entire episode in Rise of the Cybermen to set everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you probably. know, it's just so, so for me, it was a four-star because, again, going back to just traditional Doctor Who, it's just a fun story. At the end of the day, did you have a good time watching this? And would I rather watch this than, um, you know, a yes, reality just- show about two girls... You know, traveling around Beverly Hills or something. Of course, I'm going to watch this. Yeah. Um, and, and that being said, it's just a fun, entertaining story. Um, you know, and I liked I liked some of the, the I thought the eye candy in the story was great. You know, with the the visuals. I um, next to trains, my second favorite thing in the, in in the world is like Zeppelin. Zeppelin. It's just just such a cool concept, and and it had such a short lifespan yet. 
so instantly recognizable, you know, the idea of a Zeppelin. I mean, it's just, for me, it worked from, from those aspects, production design-wise. It really, really worked. Mm-hmm. So then, Jules, uh, not biased at all, mate. What did you think, <laughs> Well, uh, I've got to say... Um, Jules hated it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> terrible. Um, because the Cybermen took so long before they really turned up in, in Rise of the Cybermen, I can I can only give it a four. Um, but I thought... Um, Age but that still, photographer guy was really good in it, though. It, 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 outstanding <laughs> performance from, from whoever played <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Age of Steel, I thought, well, it really picked up, and um, uh, both episodes seemed to fly by. Yeah, I didn't yeah, think they were forty-five they did, minutes. They did. Uh, yeah, that's true. And I think special effects-wise, the mill excelled themselves. And I think possibly that could be why Girl in the Fireplace didn't have that many effects in it compared to some episodes we've seen. Is because this has got so many. Um, you know, er- everything you're looking at, um, including the uh, the Zeppelins, where mm-hmm. it, it's, it's all effects, isn't it? Um, and all yeah, this oh, what every shot does. Which uh, it just makes me think um, yeah, it affected Girl in the Fireplace a little bit, and possibly the, the next one we see is set in the fifties, isn't it? Fifties um, UK, Lantern. which once again may not be huge, uh, huge special effects episode. So uh, maybe um, these two have taken up the, the lion's share. Uh, that's the line. Uh, that's um, the line again. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> of, of the budget, possibly you know. Um, but I think I think it was very good. Four for uh, Rise of the Siren Men and, and five for Age of Steel. Yes. There we go. Uh, TARDIS grown, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so 4.5 overall, then, I think. Interesting that either it was Mickey, you know, it was Ricky in the van said, going back to 2000.5 when he was mentioning the date or something, he says the, the word. Yeah, I point noticed that, that too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as if we say, you know, 2.0 or, or some of the phrases we use now with, you know, with, with technology, the point system mm-hmm. that we use. He says, oh, yeah, back in the year, you know, 2000.5 or 20.5, whatever he said that was, it was interesting. They, there's a little, subtle little difference in, yeah. in the, going back to what Mickey said about the blue traffic lights in the start of the story. That was, I, I also thought, um, that that um, Ricky's pal was well realized as well, I and mean, we're talking oh, yeah. about supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Same here. You know, not again could have been could, could have been very two dimensional, and he wasn't. I thought he was really, um, you know, he, he he wanted to get a certain thing done, and it could have been very, you know, no, we're going to do it my way. But he started the, the subtleties of him taking a liking to Mickey towards the end. Mm-hmm. They were. They came at a natural pace. It didn't seem, you know, yeah, that they didn't going, like each other. And then the yeah. last minute of the story, they became yeah. friends, which yeah. happens on American television all and, the time. You know. And now they're going uh, to Paris together. Yeah. And leaving Paul Grand by herself. She's going to trip over the carpet. <laughs> I think you might have fixed that before. Uh, let's they, hope yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even mention Mickey's departure, or, you know, in this, you know. Yeah, nice. Oh, that's though. true. Very yeah, very, very, very good send off that one. Yeah. But I have to say, as much as I like Mickey, which isn't a lot, I am glad to see the back of him. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, I like this with companions, aren't I? I'm sorry. But uh, Mickey, I think he obviously he developed a great deal over the course of, of the, the past year or two years. Um, but I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm glad to see the back of him. I think he's had a good run. Um, and he, he was there for comic relief, but sometimes I felt he was there for a little bit too much comic relief. Um, and uh, he, you know, so that, for that reason, that, that's why I'm kind of... It was a great send-off for him, and uh, I don't think you can complain. And also, Noel Clark, obviously, very well acted. But he yes, was, he was yeah. made to be annoying, and that's why yeah, well, that's why I'm glad to see the back of him, because Noel <laughs> Clark did such a great job. Well, yeah, we, you, we, we said the same thing when we were reviewing a Long Game with Adam and... Um, Oh, I forget the actor's name, but um, Hugh something uh, like Hugo. Uh, or is it um, Bruno. Bruno? Bruno, thank you. Yeah. Something or that. Which um, you know, he did a wonderful job, but just the character that you had problems. Yeah, with. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. exactly it. And See, also, I didn't, I didn't no, have on, as yeah. much problem with Mickey. I, I under I understand what you're saying that you know he's he's meant to do certain things, but I I thought I thought that he uh, that Noel Clark or, or even for that matter the writers to their credit. Never pushed it to the point where you, where you outright hated him. But no, but there was growth. You. you know, he was growing. He was changing. I mean, it wasn't. And he like, was growing. Yeah. If he was the same character that he was in Rose throughout the whole series, you know, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, that would have been really yeah. annoying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah I, no, I think they're also clearing the way a little bit for now. New. Rose doesn't. You know, Rose doesn't have the boyfriend anymore. She's. Uh, in the words of Captain Jack, uh, footloose and fancy free, it was, or, it was, uh, or available. <laughs> it was sort of interesting once um, that they did return home to see Rose's mother, Jackie, that Jackie, and I, I thought that was sort of fitting because after that she needed that reassurance that her mom's all right, and you know it was a nice touch that he she asked where Mickey was, and they said he's you know he's he's home now or something. Yeah, he's gone home. Yeah, yeah. which was great. And the whole very far away thing was a nice touch, I thought. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, Jules, um, I want to thank, well, we all want to thank you for yes. being part yes. of Doctor Who Podshock once again. Uh, we were delighted last year when you joined us on um, Doctor Who Podshock, and we're um, extra delighted to have you on board once again and to give us your insights and uh, knowledge of being on this set of Rise of the Cybermen as it was being shot. So thank you so much. Yes, yes, thank, thank you. Guys. Yeah. And it was Jules, a lot of fun. <laughs> did you did you have anything that you wanted as far as if someone wanted to contact you or or, or buy some of your Doctor Who stuff that you sell? Is there a, a way they can go about? Is it something oh sure, yeah. If anyone, if anyone wants to contact me by email, jburt three one eight zero two at aol com or on eBay um, under the user ID Jules B J U L E S B. Or do a search under shops, eBay shops for Purple Haze, and you'll get to me that way. Always plenty of Doctor Who stuff online. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, so, no, uh, yeah, no, but no earpods, uh, I'm afraid. <laughs> but plenty of other stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, always happy to uh, to meet any 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 local fans as well who want to come by. There's uh, there's quite a thriving sci-fi community locally, and they have a they have a convention in November. So could well go along to that one, which could be fun. So. Awesome. And uh, oh, uh, James, I love the cavern stuff. Um, that that was really yes, good. James so, did um, an outstanding job. Yeah. Uh, if they, if they do do another one, um, September, October, I'll try and get along to that. So, yeah. yeah, I'll have we'll to. I'll them. have to see how I'm fixed. But uh, certainly, as well, if, if you're going to a convention in in November and you want to do a similar thing, please do, and because it's great to have people out there. Um, on the scene to give us their thoughts of uh, I'm sure, yeah. So. It's certainly been a while since my last WhoCon. I think that was probably about 
86 or 87. Uh, since then, it's been mainly um, yeah, cult TV in general, not just Doctor Who. So, uh, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. It would yeah. be uh, good to go back to just a, a pure Who con after 20 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's been really great, and uh, who knows? Um, uh, I may be talking to you again in the future for a, a so. Torchwood or, or maybe next season, season three. You never know. Well, never keep know. our never fingers know. crossed. You're still alive was, and well in our universe. Still alive, yeah. I'm not deleted. and uh, It would certainly take something to top, top Rise of the Starmen, though. I'd have to be really lucky to, <laughs> to top that. <laughs> That's the That's challenge right. setting you here at Podge. Uh, well, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> maybe Torchwood. Maybe Torchwood needs an official photographer. I was just thinking that, yes. You never know. Because you've got to photograph these um, <laughs> undocumented sightings and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be so funny? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got lots of friends who are also um, supporting artists, so um, if any of them get a sniff of Torchwood, I, I'll know about it and uh, be able to pass any news on to you guys. So, uh, I shall keep in awesome. contact and, and keep listening, of course. Uh, um, oh, one last thing. I, I, I did bump into Paul Cornell at my last casualty. And and he 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 knew all about my uh, my part because he listens to your show. Wow! So there you go. So, yeah, oh, that's wow. so awesome. Yeah. So and uh, well, did we mention we, how we much should... we like Paul Cornell? Well, we, <laughs> like, we love Father's yeah. Day, and <laughs> yeah, maybe he should come on. I mean, he's well, he's writing two parts, two, two a two parter next year. So that's fantastic news for him, and and yeah, I wish him well there. Yeah, right. really, really good, you know. Yeah. Well, one of Excellent. his characters that he wrote uh, came back to life um, in these in this story here. That yeah. So it's um, it's all related. A character that he fleshed out saw you know saw the light of day again. And, you, you know, that's you can it. Trust exactly me on this. right. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It could be another uh, another Pete Tyler flashback episode. You never know. You never know. <laughs> well, we can't go down that road yet. There's plenty of time to, to, to speculate on that one. <laughs> but yeah, uh, keep up the good work, guys, and I shall keep Thank this you. Thanks, for sure. Thanks so much and, for coming. Um, yeah, it's, it's been great. Speak to you soon. Mm-hmm. Right. Take care. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <clears throat> up next, we have a review by Colin, who is also known as Abisok on our forums. This uh, review actually was um, supposed to be in episode 39, and because of time restraints, we were, um, we're happy, we're pleased to uh, present it here on Pachak 41. So um, we wanted it in 39 because that was a sort of a Sarah Jane Smith, Elizabeth Sladen um, episode because we were reviewing um, uh, School Reunion in that episode, so we thought it was fitting to be there. But... So it works just the same here. Sarah is always um, welcome to join Pachak anytime she wants. <laughs> so this is um Dreamland review of Sarah Jane Smith's Big Finish Audio Adventures. Hi guys, this is Colin, also known as Abasok on the Gallifrey and Embassy forums. The dramatic events at the end of Sarah Jane Smith's Fatal Consequences left us all wondering just who would survive to the final chapter. The story is nearly complete. Can the season finale live up to the expectation that's been building? Find out now as I review Sarah Jane Smith, Season 2, Episode 4, Dreamland.
Following straight on as it does from the tense action of Fatal Consequences, Dreamland feels almost like an epilogue of the story, or even the beginning of a completely new adventure from the one that we've been following so far. But as the opening minutes progress, it soon becomes very clear that things are far from finished for SJ and Co. Thanks for driving me to the funeral, Nat. You've no idea how much I needed to see a friendly face today of all days. I was glad you called, Sarah. I was thinking it was about time I got back in touch with you. Just sorry it had to be like this. I'm just very glad you're here, Nat. Sadie Frost makes a welcome return to the role of Nat and gets some long overdue and good characterization to work with in this episode. It's taken Nat some time to come to terms with the events concerning her boyfriend Luca in Buried Secrets, but dealing with the friends who were involved in those events is another matter altogether. I still feel so responsible for what happened. Luca may have used me to get at you, but that doesn't make it your fault. Maybe, but I never thought I'd have so much blood on my hands. Liz Sladen puts in another very good performance here as an emotionally vulnerable Sarah, trying to deal with what happened to her friends at the end of Fatal Consequences. But just when she believes she's coming to terms with one set of revelations, there's more waiting just around the corner. So, Donald, I want you to leave. Now. Not before you hear what I've got to say, Sarah. Can I call you Sarah? Be my guest. If I live long enough to be on board the Dauntless when it lifts off, I want you at my side. What? Stephen Greif returns as billionaire Sir Donald Wakefield, who approaches Sarah with a chance of a lifetime offer. Anyone else might find it hard to turn down, but after all she's been through so far, Sarah has a few things to say on the matter. You don't believe in a higher power, some intelligence that shapes our lives? No, I wish I did. It might make the random cruelties of life easier to bear, but that's what they are, random. There's no great plan, no predetermined force, no alien intelligence influencing the course of my life. Are you sure about that? Oddly enough, as Sarah tries to decide the best course of action, and in a fashion that strikes a strangely familiar chord with the current television series airing in the UK, it's an old friend from Sarah's past who helps her to make up her mind. Well, before we met, Nat, I used to travel with this extraordinary friend... I saw things with him I could never share with anyone else, not even you. Why not? <laughs> they just wouldn't believe me. I suddenly realised just how lonely I've been, how much I've missed him. This short sequence, though probably entirely coincidental, is nevertheless a nice touch and makes a quietly satisfying tie-in with the current canon of the television series, showing us both that Sarah Jane is still motivated by more than simple journalistic curiosity and also hasn't forgotten where she came from or how she got here. So with her mind made up, SJ and co embark on what they expect to be the final stage of their long adventure. But while everything seems straightforward, the story has yet to deliver its final twist. Valiant has left the ground. Dauntless has begun its maiden voyage. Congratulations! You're on your way into space. Dreamland is a difficult story to rate. The plot development is very well handled, and just when you think that there can't be that much left to explain in this series, a whole new raft of characters, situations and consequences emerges. 
The story builds very slowly and logically and then hits you with a few surprises and an amazing tension that keeps you on the edge of your seat right up until the end. For that reason alone, I would recommend this story to anyone who is a fan of the series. However, that isn't to say that I don't have issues with it. Ignition plus 10 seconds. Dauntless is accelerating. Are you all right? Plus 15 seconds. Speed passing 1,000 miles an hour. Sam, can you hear me? Plus 20 seconds. We're 16 miles above the Earth. I can hear you, Nat. The gravitational force is compressing your lungs. Take shallow breaths. My main gripe with Dreamland is in the nature of its conclusion. Not in the events that occur, but the way that everything is left. Bearing in mind this is the final story of the series, the ending is pretty ambiguous. Ah, I hear you say, that's what you get with cliffhangers, which is all fair enough. But the problem here is that the story leaves you uncertain whether this is a cliffhanger or a complete end to the whole story. And for the listener, after all of the hours that we've invested, there has still been no explanation about what the prophecy means, and therefore what is at stake for the human race. If you've seen the classic Doctor Who story, Mask of the Mandragora, you may have a good idea. But if you haven't, you're left pretty much without a clue. And for the first time in this series, the story doesn't cater for those without prior knowledge of SJ's previous adventures. Astronomers connected to NASA have questioned the wisdom of proceeding with the maiden flight of the Dauntless at the same time as a new comet is so close to the Earth. The comet will pass within two million miles of the planet, one of the closest approaches for centuries. As a result, the series feels unfinished. Writer David Bishop has ended his story by posing more questions, as befits a cliffhanger, but not addressing the one key question that has been the backbone of this entire series so far, i.e., what is it all about? And without this, the prophecy just looks like a mere plot contrivance to get to the final scene. Now, all of this is a great shame, because in terms of the unfolding tension of drama, especially the final 20 minutes of the story, Dreamland is one of the most exciting and best Sarah Jane Smith releases ever. Taken as a whole, and compared to Season 1's rather disparate adventures, Season 2's carefully crafted story arc, with its much improved production values and a well-constructed and consistently engaging storyline, has given us a likeable group of characters who work well together and who you actually give a damn about. The final sequence is at once dramatic, tense and also very touching, with things clearly left open for a continuation of the story. My only concern that this might not happen is a comment made by series producer John Ainsworth in the latest edition of the Big Finish audio magazine. We certainly haven't ruled out a third series, I mean, but again it's something we haven't really been thinking on, I mean, other than we've left it open for the possibility of a third series. Of course, now that the Doctor Who episode, School Reunion, has aired, and based on its nice emotional dovetailing with this audio series, Big Finish might now feel honour-bound to give our heroine a conclusion worthy of her character. I do hope that Big Finish does decide to make a third season, because these characters and story deserve a proper ending. I also hope it's David Bishop who gets to write it even if only to see if he can convincingly get himself out of the literal corner he's painted himself into. Will the story continue? What else lies in store for Sarah Jane and her friends? In fact, do they have a future? And if not, what is at stake for planet Earth and her citizens? Will there be a next season? 
And if so, will the writer be able to convincingly resolve everything without having to wade through a barrage of outraged critical invective on the forums of Outpost Gallifrey? Hopefully, we will get to find out these answers very soon. For now, I give Dreamland three and a half TARDIS grinds out of five. That's all from me. With any luck, I'll be back at some time in the future to review season three of Sarah Jane Smith. For now, it's back to you, Lewis, Ken, and James. Will there be a third big finish series of Sarah Jane Smith? We certainly haven't ruled out a third series. I mean, but again, it's something we haven't really been thinking on. Oh, well, get thinking. Honestly, I don't know why I bother do these reviews all season, and this is the bloody payoff I get at the end of it. Right, well, that's it. I've had enough. Gone off Sarah Jane. Yeah. I got to see to Bonnyland for me. She did dancing on a cat with slain on a pair of ice skates up and back. Good grief. <laughs> I did love but a lot of fantastic ending. Wow. Well done, Colin. Colin. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> I also loved how he put the hitchhiker's uh, well, guy to the galaxy. Exactly. Because I always compared him to the book in, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, and if you've listened to the Hitchhiker's radio series, that's how they end each episode, you know, with the book saying, will, you know, and, and posing all these questions, you know, that will hopefully be answered in the next episode. And that's exactly mm. what Colin did. Um, wow. I'm, I'm really impressed, Colin. I mean, I've, you've outdone yourself. That's great stuff. <laughs> it is. You've set the I, bar I, even higher for yourself, which I is, know. you wouldn't have thought was possible. <laughs> really appreciate his, his efforts, you know, like just just to take an audio review and get that complex with it is really just that brilliant. is incredible. I am I'm I uh, hats off. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, fella. Great and stuff. I wanted to let him know that Arthur bruised his upper arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know how we could follow that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're gonna have to take a break and come back with feedback but <laughs> all righty so we'll be right back with dr who podshock hello i'm elizabeth slayton and you're listening to dr who podshock hi i'm paul wilson and welcome to the who cast if you're interested in dr who or in torchwood then this is the podcast for you. This podcast is produced in conjunction with the London Doctor Who Meetup Group, and not only do we discuss all things Who, but we meet on a regular basis, and you can be sure of many interesting and different discussions when we all get together. If you want to know more, subscribe to the podcast, or join our meeting group, then please have a look at our website at www.thewhocast.com. Get ready for the adventure of a lifetime. We're back with Doctor Who Podshock, and now we're entered the feedback 
portion of our show. Feedback. So funny. We get so much feedback that it seems like we could make an entire two-hour episode just of feedback. And and as I've I'm, said in past shows, we appreciate everyone who emails, calls, writes, sends smoke signals, whatever means that they're, they're using to communicate with us. We really it, – it doesn't go unnoticed. You know, I've, I've read – all the uh, the reviews, uh, the 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 commentaries. Some people have written you know, directly to me or d- written to all three of us, and um, I do get a chance to read it. I, I agree with a lot of what people say, and and I appreciate when you know even when people disagree. It, it's it's nice to get that feedback and get different takes on things. So mm. and and since we do get so much feedback, it's just impossible to include it all on our show. So if we don't you know mention you, please don't take it personally. It's just. You know, we're we're already at two hours now, and we're just getting to feedback. So, um, you know, we just try to fit as much as we can into Doctor Who Podchalk. So, um, don't take it personally if you're not on it. We, as Ken says, we do read it all, and um, you know, we it doesn't go unnoticed. And um, uh, speaking of that, um, Rob, who also goes in the goes by uh, War and Peace on our forums on GallifreyandEmbassy.org or Podchalk.net. Uh, back in December, sent us a review in uh, which we never got to. This is a review of uh, he sent in a piece of audio feedback reviewing the box set, the DVD box set, and um, so he um, he was kind enough to update his review for us um, so we can include it in this episode of Doctor Who Podshock. And it's still relevant because the box set is coming out in the U.S. on July 4th, which is uh, just a little more than a month from now, and um, yeah, about six weeks or so. And um, and you still can get it available um, in the you know in North America through Canada through Amazon CA um, as well as um, it's a, it's been available in the UK since November and I believe in Australia as well. So um, without any further ado, um, here is um, as I said he goes by War and Peace on the forums and so this is Rob. <laughs> I've done the improbable. I've watched every single episode of Doctor Who. By hook, crook, or checkbook, I've managed not only to collect every episode in video format, be it DVDs, somewhat shadowy ways of getting unreleased videos, not saying anything, or loose cannon reconstructions, but I've watched every one of them. Having done this, I feel I have a real perspective on Doctor Who as a whole. Which Doctor is my favorite? I don't have one. Every single Doctor played the part amazingly in their own style. Sure, people like to rag on McCoy or Colin Baker, but they reflect perfectly their era, as do all Doctors. That is what makes Doctor Who not only great television, which it was most of the time, but also a trip through 40-odd years of history. From early TV sci-fi, through action and camp, all the way to cheese and back, Doctor Who is a moving time capsule, which I, for one, hope to see continue on in perpetuum. I know I'm not the only fan to watch all the series, but I just wanted to share my personal accomplishment with you all, and to challenge others to do the same. It may be years of video watching, but in the end you'll join the ranks of uber Doctor Who geeks. Thank you. Now I have some audio adventures to start listening to. Okay, well that wasn't a review at all. <laughs> he, his original submission was a review, and um, I guess he changed his mind. He just did uh, went a different direction, but that's okay. Um, we'll maybe we'll play his um his original review in another show. So um, um, thank you so much, and yeah, you know, we do appreciate it, and um, it's good to be completed. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're now, you are now a complete person. So um, it's um, we, we have a running theme in feedback. We have um, and we have another Rob who has sent us um, a um, a piece of audio feedback. I don't know why I keep saying a piece, but a um, some audio feedback. So uh, this is um, this is um, I'm not sure where he's from. I'm sorry, but the, his name is Rob. <laughs> Ken, Lewis, James, this is Rob from Atlanta. Rob Wicks on the forums, although I haven't posted yet. Uh, resending this message because I don't know if you got the first one. Looks like I may have had my microphone turned off. Uh, what I was saying was that I was actually at a cocktail party the other day, and uh, a guy I met there who rather unusually was a native Atlanta. You don't really meet too many people actually from Atlanta in Atlanta. Uh, said that he really enjoys the Doctor Who on watching it on the Sci-Fi channel, and he doesn't really know that much about the history of the show. He never saw the old episodes, and he wishes Sci-Fi channel would show some old episodes during the day so he can learn more about it. I was wondering if you guys had any sort of suggestions as to uh, Doctor Who primer, something that he could watch or uh, read that would give him a quick kind of backdrop on the history of the show and maybe a little information on some recurring characters. Anyway, really enjoy what you guys have been doing uh, with the podcast and look forward to hearing more in the future. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, we had covered um, in a past pod shock uh, some of our suggestions on introductory stories for um, bringing some new people on board with Doctor Who, but I will make um, a book uh, suggestion, mm-hmm. family, books plural. Um, there's a, a couple of uh, interesting books, some fun books, uh, things like, and I'll, I'll just, I'll try to keep it to ones that I know are, are still in, in publication, but um, the Discontinuity Guide and Who's Next and a few books like that that are up to date um, and and still available in your local Barnes and Nobles or Walden Book or wh- whatever uh, particular location you frequent. Um, they're written usually by a number of authors, uh, two, three, four of them, depending on the book you pick up, and and they have a a humorous take on the show. That I know, as an example, uh, the book Who's Next has a, a column uh, called. Uh, where it went wrong, and then sometimes in, in some of the stories, you know, it's it's funny to see like some of the stories that are uh, perhaps done on a smaller budget. You know, it'd be like, well, the, they they kind of ran out of money for this, or or uh, William Hartnell fluffs his lines here, or whatever, and and then and it's done in a fun manner. And I know in in the discontinuity guide, they have a a, a column called. Uh, innuendo, I believe, or, or double, you know, something in double entendre is where, you know, it's like every little, uh, every little line is analyzed to see if there's a, a perverted remark to be remade, a <laughs> remark being made, and, and, um, or, and not even perverted, there's one where they, they'll track every time someone says, we must act now. Uh, in the show, Doctor Who, and, and if you did a tally, if you did a drinking game on that, uh, you'd be hammered before the first <laughs> season ended. So, uh, uh, and they also track every time someone wears flares, apparently. So, so there's some fun to be had as well as uh, a guide to um, broadcast dates, seasons, producers, writers, cast. Um, Who's next does a nice job of uh, 
telling you perhaps where the guest stars came from, other shows. That one decidedly written in a, in a little more British, strictly British style, because they mention a lot of British shows that uh, that I'm not familiar with. But um, mm, mm. so so there are a few books out there that'll. It's a good starting place. My personal first um, episode guide came in the Radio Times on the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who did a special issue, a 20th anniversary Radio Times issue, which was strictly Doctor Who, and they had an episode guide and a guide to characters and stuff. And that that goes way, way back and something of a collector's item now, but I'm just reminiscing, thinking about that now that, you know, I too started someplace where I, I had to go and find something that would, well, where are, who are all these other people? Where are they coming from? What's the history behind the show? Uh, and there's a lot to explore, so encourage your friend because it, it really is one of, the, most, one of the, the best parts about being a Doctor Who fan is its rich history. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say briefly, if you want to get any DVDs, um, I know that the Genesis of the Daleks recently was released both here in the UK and in the US. Um, and I think that's uh, what's well, one of my favorite stories, Tom Baker stories anyway. And I think that's a, a great one to be introduced to kind of concepts of Doctor Who. Um, and it's just a, a classic episode if you're looking for the, the older style ones. Um, I mean, there's just so much out there, but I would say that because that's a, a one that was released relatively recently, I, th I think that's a, a good place to start. Lewis, any thoughts on the matter? Yeah, well, um, I believe it's still in publication. It's a, it's a there was a handy book um, back in my day. is um, written by Jean Mark Lafferser, who did a Doctor Who program guide, and it follows <laughs> um, the whole entire series um, from beginning to. I, I I don't know. I'm sure it's probably been updated now. Um, yes. So I mean, it gives you a, a good synopsis of every episode. Um, the companions, the doctors, the he has a website as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I would recommend that as a good um, primer. Um, you know, too bad the Peter Haining books I don't think are in publication anymore. I, I really like yeah. those as well. Well, uh, and, and Doctor Who: The Legend, which is a bit expensive for a first timer, as a hardcover book, mm -hmm. put out for the fortieth and then forty first anniversary of Doctor Who uh, to include Chris Eccleston. Uh, in the book, I'm sure they're making one for this year, which will have David Tennant just to complete the complete the uh, the cycle. But th those are there are those are our suggestions book wise, mm -hmm. and, and like I said in a past episode, we did episode suggestions, and then also the internet now is is the ultimate resource because sure. everything is at your fingertips. And on the Gallifrey Embassy website, we have a great link section with um with some descriptions. So that whether you're a novice or an experienced Doctor Who fan, you can find what you're looking for at your fingertips in the web resources category. So, well, um, well, boys and girls, um, have to say this. I'm sorry to say, but we're run out of time, so we're gonna have to um, conclude this episode of Doctor Who Podshock. We have plenty more feedback. I'm sorry we didn't get to it all. Um, we'll get to it next time. And um, thank you for listening. Um, thank James. Thank you so much for all the work that you did for the Doctor oh, in the no Cavern. No problem, mate. You uh -huh. do. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, it was really top block awesome. for getting it all done. Thank you so much, and Colin for helping him out with the video. Yes, thank you, Abisok, and with your wonderful video. Also, Jules Burt for joining us on yes. today's show. That was great. That you know, we had really had one hell of a show today. When you think yeah, about it, yeah, yeah, mammoth. Uh, 
All yeah. the Pachak you can get for your money. Yeah. Which is nothing. <laughs> it pays anything. Paul from the WhoCast, thank you so much for... Uh, I've been listening. Uh, great show. Thank you for promoting our show as well. Um, thanks oh, yes, again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Take care, everyone. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan-run GallifreyanEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Did you think I'd crumble? Did you think I'd lay down and die? Hold out, I, I will To live, I've got all my love to give. I will survive. I will survive.